What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 66th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hail Satan. <laughs> okay, 420, is that why? Oh, yeah. no, uh, episode six, the devil, uh, devil's- 66. Oh, okay, six. Well, 666, six, six, I guess. I know, but we're, we're close. <laughs> <laughs> it's 420 the devil's lettuce is is out today so i'm not stoned right now we just passed this is a once in a lifetime thing eric we are recording hey, you're not stoned? we just passed 420 420 420 never again never again you know? um 420 on 420 on 420 um no i'm not stoned right now uh maybe later but um I'm good right now. How you doing, buddy? I feel like we we skipped a week. It was Easter last week. It was yep. the Lord. We went from talking about Satan to now talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, he died. He John he rose. Carpenter, right? Um, JC. Yeah, yeah. Um, how was your Easter weekend? And how you been? We haven't really. We've talked over text, but I haven't seen you. I haven't spoken to you in a week or so. No, it's just the way I like it. Uh, <laughs> nothing really. I mean, other than. Um, Kyle and fort. Heidi showing up to pick up some food at a safe distance and talking to them for maybe about 10, 15 minutes. Not much had really gone on in the last week or so. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, about the same. I mean, um, when I came to the long weekend, it was nice to, I mean, of course, we can't really go out and do anything. I um I had a nice, you know, virtual dinner with my parents and my sister. So uh, Nevis and I ordered from a local kind of a uh, Eastern European restaurant called Drom Taberna. They were doing like a Easter dinner um, kind of pre-orders. So they dropped off like a roasted lamb, some potato salads, some deviled eggs. Some uh, it was really good. It was a really good kind of like uh, European. Uh, Easter dinner. I uh, had that, talked with my parents and my sister for a bit. Um, and I just hung out the last kind of, you know, long weekend in the past weekend. I've been watching a lot of stuff, which we'll get into. Um, oh, yeah. Some some good stuff, some bad stuff, a lot of TV, which I was tweeting about a little bit. And then I've gotten back into the swing of um, watching movies and uh, watching or watching and listening to a lot of podcasts. So, um, I, I took this last weekend, um, to just kind of sit around and, I mean, you can only really be lazy right now, but, um, I, I just laid in my bed basically and watched a lot of Transformers movies, a lot of back to the future, uh, <laughs> and listened to a bunch of podcasts. So, um, I haven't really been, my gaming has gone down actually. Oh, I beat final fantasy seven remake. That was my long weekend. Um, so I mean, in, in, how we kick off the show now is what video games Matt have, has been playing. I mean, the whole rigmarole, uh, welcome untitled movie podcast. Eric and I usually do this every week where we talk about what the hell we've been up to during quarantine and what's going on in the, uh, the entertainment industry, a lot going on. Actually, we actually have a lot of news and different things to talk about, but we'll get to that later. Uh, you can get it every week, podcast services around the globe. Um, you can also, uh, we have another podcast, which we haven't really put content out on, but I'm hoping now that this becomes the new normal for at least the foreseeable future, um, we'll have some new releases that we can review. So um, I can say that we will review Extraction this weekend, uh, the Netflix film uh, starring Chris Hemsworth, directed by the stunt coordinator for 
you know all the Avengers movies and and Captain America movies. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but produced uh, by Hargrave. the Russo brothers. Yeah, Hargrave. Yeah. Um, so we'll review that. I think um, we'll review a lot of streaming stuff coming up. So uh, Eric hasn't gotten around to watching Trolls, and I don't blame him. I can talk about it a little bit today. Um, and uh, we'll review stuff. I mean, hit us up if there's something you guys want us to talk about too, or movies that. Uh, you think we should be reviewing, but, um, but yeah, that's the whole rigmarole. Go check out that podcast on title movie reviews. There's old stuff on there. Yeah, I don't the know what our newest review just was. came out. Yeah. God damn that movie. I like that you're having a drink right now and uh, your drink is disappearing into the backdrop of Parasite. Yeah. I have my virtual background as the Parasite living room. Um, it's acting almost like I'm a green a, screen. Where your drink is like literally like disappearing in the shot. That's yeah. Now I can't see you. Half of you, you're you're gone. The Invisible Man. Go check out our review. Oh, Matt, uh, you don't want to be the Invisible Man. No, I know, but I was just. Anyways, I'm not creepy perv. Um, but yeah, man, life's been good. Uh, yeah, long weekend. I guess I can kick it off. Um, I played Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, for the PlayStation Four. Um very cinematic so i feel like it's okay to talk about on this it's it's more cinematic than animal crossing um final eric i don't know if you know anything about you might know a little bit about final fantasy um i saw the movie uh, with the voices of alec baldwin and perry gilpin of fraser fame right i think that actually which one advent children or no uh spirits within or spirits within it's it's um, the one where okay. the uh creatures go through the body and take your soul out right um so final fantasy uh uh a franchise that's been around forever. Um, Final Fantasy VII uh, was a popular PlayStation 1 video game from the late 90s, 97-ish, um, that I was absolutely obsessed with as a kid. It was a JRPG, turn-based uh, kind of battle system. Uh, a crazy giant story about um, you know an eco-terrorist group called Avalanche who's trying to take down a giant corporation called Shinra that is um, mining you know, the earth's energy source, uh, called Mako. Um, and they're going around bombing their, um, their, uh, uh, uh God, I'm blanking on the term, like, uh, generators and things like that. And it's the, it stars a, a character named cloud strife. You might know him. He's got blonde spiky hair, has the giant sword. He's one of the most iconic looking video game characters of all time. I was obsessed with him as a kid. Anyways, they remade that game for PS4, um, with, and it, it, it was incredible. It was really, really great. I, I spent 40 hours on my last long weekend uh, beating that game. It took me 40 hours almost exactly. Um, incredibly cinematic. The score is incredible. Um, uh, a fun, wacky, crazy uh, story. Um, maybe a little bit bloated because what they did here is they took the original game and they're splitting it what looks to be in three parts probably, probably a trilogy. So they blew up what was a 40 hour game and took the first six or seven hours and turned it into a 40 hour video game. So if you know the original story, there's a little bit of padding when it comes to, you know, adding story beats and, but really it's just fleshing a lot of it out. Um, but I would put it in that same kind of sphere as last of us and God of war and, and these very kind of cinematic story based games um, that just happen to have these crazy boss fights and, um, and, and battle systems in them. Uh, so I was obsessed with that. I played it nonstop. Yeah. Crushing 40 hours in four days. I basically played 10 hours a day um, for that entire long weekend. And that's all I did. Um, 
and it was a, a a fantastic fantastic experience so i feel like if you're a fan of um that original game and you haven't played it yet i'm sure you have if you are um but even not i would say that it's the first final fantasy game in a long time i'd say that um like if you weren't even into the franchise you could probably jump in and play it um it is crazy but the story is fairly easy to follow until the last hour where it gets completely off the rails in a very final fantasy anime style way but i was kind of there for it so um super super into that played that uh all long weekend so that's uh the matt video game update that we're kicking off these shows because i feel like now is the perfect time to just play a shit ton of video games but it might be the last video game that comes out for a while so uh. right well, to uh, segue from uh, playing video games to watching a video game movie, uh, I rewatched Double Dragon with uh, Scott Wolf and Mark Dacascus, um from the Sweet. mid from the mid nineties. Uh, it was a film. Love the that Double my- Dragon game, though. I'll yeah, it's just there. it's just a fighting game, right? I never, I never. Yeah, played it's it. like, like one of those um, beat 'em up kind of side scrolling. Uh, it's. More of like, uh, did you ever play like the Ninja Turtles uh, video games or the like uh, the arcade game, Simpsons arcade game or yeah, anything yeah. like that? Where it's like a, you each screen has guys and you beat them up and you move to the next screen and things like that. Uh, my favorite was Battletoads versus Double Dragon. That was a great game. Right. Turn that well, into a movie. The uh, the video game makes a cameo in the third act uh, of of the film. Um, what a masterwork, by the way, uh, for for such a, an amazing piece of filmmaking. Um, so early to mid nineties film. It takes place in New Angeles. Uh, two brothers are the chosen ones to basically bring balance back, body and soul, to connect connect this medallion that Robert Patrick has who was doing some serious cultural appropriation even down to his uh character name um some of the map paintings are are kind of fun to look at um but like all the jokes are just so cringeworthy and and bad like like the joke is like the only channel that's now available for everybody to watch this the news channel is channel 69 and it's like that's the joke and it has like andy dick as the weatherman and you're just like come on like Really? Um, Lowest common denominator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Alyssa Milano's in it as, like, the love interest to to the two guys. And she's also used as a sex object throughout. Like, they stare at her ass a bunch of times. And one of the characters... I watched the Transformers movies. I know... Yeah, so you know where this is going. I'll get to that. It's it's not as leering as uh as Michael Bay's camera can be, but there's like there's one gratuitous shot in uh, in particular that's like, okay, come on, guys, really, and it's like, wow, the '90s, you can get away with this kind of stuff. And then there's an to be fair, that's fairly accurate to video game, like. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Costumes. Not saying that that's an excuse, but that's still a problem. Like even in Final Fantasy, they were pretty accurate with how some of the characters dressed and um you're just like that doesn't seem like great battle uh you know gear but you know what go for it. Well, well look at uh uh doa right the the, the volleyball oh yeah remember well, that it was a fighting game Eric which Roberts? they just turned <laughs> it was a fighting game and then they turned it into a volleyball game and it was just yeah basically the whole concept of that game was like uh, a hooters fighting game or um or a volleyball game yeah yeah. Anyways, it's it's. Uh, Why did you watch this? Well, partly because 
I was listening to two podcasts that actually talked about it not too long ago. Right, right, right. One yeah. was Film Junk, uh, which they did a, a a video game premium episode, and that was one of the movies. And it was also growing up, it was one of my brother Connor's favorite films. Like he obsessed over it, and I remember him rent like it was like me with Leviathan, where like I'd always go to the video store and rent this shitty B movie, and he would go and rent Double, Double Dragon, Dragon, and he was obsessed with it. Um, and then also there was another podcast I was listening to that was kind of going into it. And, um, I was just like, well, it's on Amazon prime. Might as well, uh, check it out. See if it holds up. And guess what? It doesn't. It does not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess there's some nostalgia just yeah. thinking about like, oh, I remember watching this as a kid, but like everything about it that, you know, in other movies that are of its same ilk, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just in terms of its style, um, I find more charming in that than I do this still. Um, but I yeah, still it's, think the it's first two Ninja Turtle movies are legitimately solid. Yeah, no, I think the first one's great. But again, I, I think it's also because we grew up with those movies. I, and like, yeah. If, if a generation now were to watch them and, and sort of take them at face value and not having, you know, seen them as kids, I think they would look at us and be like, this is garbage, you know? And I mean, not to jump off that and say that these movies are garbage, but I, I mean, I, I tweeted out my hot take of the Back to the Future movies that like, I don't have, any, I mean, we're just jumping into the what we've been watching section so we can bounce back and forth. But um, going off of that point, uh, I watched the Back to the Future trilogy and I just don't, I don't have the nostalgic kind of um, uh, feeling for that trilogy as I think uh, a lot of people do. Um, I never watched them as a kid. I, they weren't something that were, were like go-to movies for me. Um, I probably only saw them much later in life, um, or maybe saw bits and pieces of them in, in passing, but, um, in it was that one culture in general, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like I knew of the DeLorean and I knew of Doc and Marty. Like those are things you can't well, really Well, Rick escape. and Morty, right? Um, yeah, is, yeah. And I love Rick and Morty and Rick and Morty is just, yeah, it's an R-rated, um, back to the future. Um, or it's based off those characters. It was just kind of a, a short that was based off of Back to the Future, but um, and and in a plethora of different ways, I've seen basically everything from the Back to the Future franchise. But that and Indiana Jones were like the two, you know, Spielberg and Zemeckis. I mean, Spielberg involved in Back to the Future, um, films that just never really clicked with me as a as a kid. And I don't know, maybe it's that kind of bias I have even as an, a, an adult of a, a period piece stuff never really clicked with me or maybe as a kid that continued into my adulthood. But um, there's something about the Back to the Future movies. I still think they are good movies and I enjoyed watching all three of them. Um, I just, I don't have the love for, I guess it's the first one people really, really love, right? And then two or three. Yeah, but the second um, one seems to be kind of gaining momentum over the the last 10, 15 years, especially where they revisit the under the sea dance the second time around. Yeah. I think all that is extremely clever. And like, obviously the hoverboard was something where like a lot of kids growing up wanted that. And we're thinking like, Oh, how, you know, how soon is this going to be invented? And I think those movies have the best and worst of Zemeckis in them. Like I, I think after watching them, no bias, no uh, nostalgic, you know, attachment to any of them. I enjoyed the second one the most. And then, then three, which I thought was actually surprisingly a lot of fun just cause it was different. 
Um, and then one, which I thought was the most, just, it was fine. Like it's an enjoyable movie, but it just didn't do much for me. Um, two, I really liked, I think even the stuff when I was a kid, I liked was the, um, the bits and pieces from that, you know, the future segment, but then that's Elijah the Wood. scene of, of, yeah, the scene of Marty at the, at the diner and stuff like that in the hoverboard scene. Those are the cool parts. When you see the McFly family, that's when it goes a bit off the rails and it's, um, really, really terrible. Like with, with, um, Michael J. Fox playing all of the characters in, uh, and, um, which I didn't even realize he played the daughter until, till later when I was listening to the kind of funny in review. And then I was like, wait, did I just like black that out? And then I went back and watched that scene. And I'm like, now this scene is really bad. And um and that's what I mean by some of the bad Zemeckis stuff, like the cringeworthy, you know, caricature-esque kind of um moments. I know it's a kids movie and things like that, but um I, I don't know. And then I do love that end sequence when they go back to the fir- the events of the first film. And I love time travel stuff, so I'm surprised I never really uh watched these as a kid. Um but then watching them I basically gave them like three and a halfs across the board for the most part, because like, I, I, I like them all. I think they're enjoyable movies. I just, um, I don't think they're fantastic. Um, like other people, like I thought they were good and I enjoyed watching them. I enjoyed listening to the the podcast about them. The, those guys are really passionate about them. They all seem to, you know, grew up with that movie and really, really love it. Um, but I guess like Jurassic park is my kind of thing from the nineties. And then back to the future was more of a, an 80s thing maybe Uh, maybe i just missed that and then it wasn't a movie that my uncle showed me my dad wasn't really a sci-fi guy or a movie guy so it wouldn't have been a movie that he really went out of his way to show me so um but i i surprisingly enjoyed the i thought i would hate the third one and i watched it and i was like you know what this is a lot of fun like i i like how ridiculous those movies got and continue to get of having you know the same families involved in everything and their descendants. And like, it's kind of stupid, but like, and the same plot basically happens in all three movies, but um, with slight variations, but I, I dug the third one quite a bit. So I don't know. That was, yeah, my I mean, the, the third one is kind of like the outlier in the trilogy where it's kind of like, Oh, the, the Western stuff is boring. I, I enjoy it. I think it is the weakest of the three and it kind of feels like if, Back to the Future was made as a TV series. That would be an episode of, you right. know, like they keep going to different time periods or whatever. Doc and Marty in the West. Like it didn't feel like necessarily like it was organic to the trilogy in, in, in a way. It almost felt like, okay, well, we've ran out of ideas for, you know, part three. So what can we do that might interest us? And, you know, Robert Zemeckis being a Western fan, it was kind of like, okay, well, let's have fun with this and make this into a Western. Western. Yeah. Yeah. And then like in between all this as well, which I find very interesting is that, you know, Zemeckis in between uh, two and three is also uh, shooting and working in post-production on who framed Roger rabbit. Uh, There's an audio commentary where he talks about like shooting or reshooting the continuity of the under the sea dance and him having to also look at uh, sort of, post-production final character shots or inserts for who framed Roger Rabbit, which was so time consuming. So it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of how like Spielberg talks about, you know, when he went to go make Schindler's Bliss, Jurassic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he had finished product, like actual shooting of Jurassic Park, but post took another, I think two, three, four months because ILM was still kind of trying to integrate the digital and the practical effects as best they could. And obviously it, it, it paid off, but 
it reminded me a little bit of that. And, and, and I think you're right where like you can see Zemeckis does have this weird kind of fetish for caricatures and sort of one dimensional jokes. But I, I think some of it works better here than it does in some of his more recent stuff. Like, yeah, Wolf I agree. Marwin. Like I actually really like um, Thomas F. Wilson who plays Biff in, in the series. I think he's uh, I agree. an underrated part of the franchise, especially with like, again, to kind of gaining a little bit more traction over the years because it is very much a Trump like future that when Marty goes back. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's basically, he looks like Trump, but it's even funnier when you think about that, like Thomas F. Wilson, I think was like in his late twenties at that point, And he looks like a 45 year old in some shots. And then he looks like a kid in others. And, and, and like, I think the makeup for like that, character works really well i don't think it it works as well for as you said the mcfly family or the mcfly family at the beginning with with crispin and leah thompson in the first one because then crispin glover was also fired after uh the second one and then they just brought in some kind of other guy to pretend he was crispin glover because him and robert zemeckis had a falling out and then they reunited again for beowulf so yeah 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 i mean um yeah, I totally agree with that. I think um uh, Biff is probably the probably the second best part of all those movies other than, you know, Doc and Marty and and uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I enjoyed watching them cuz I don't think I I sat down and and watched all three of them like in succession like that um in a really long time. I think I uh maybe 5 5 plus years ago I probably watched I bought the when the Blu-ray came out. Um, was it 2015? Probably, I think when that um when they yeah. released it based on the anniversary of the the date that they go into the future, October 15th or, or well this October 15th. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then this year they're supposed to release uh, it again on 4K because uh, it was announced recently that Jaws is coming out on 4K and yeah, rumor I would have loved to waited for that, but uh, we'll, I just we'll I, don't know. I wanted to catch up, but um. I forget where I was going to go with that, but yeah, the 4k. Oh, oh no. What was interesting to me is just like, you're thinking about it in a modern sense and they've talked about remaking back to the future and just thinking if they were to make it today, they'd go back to like what, 1990. And or then the like, they would go they, back to yeah. the eighties because like, yeah, probably a lot of yeah. filmmakers now who grew up in the eighties making movies that are fetishizing the eighties, the way that filmmakers that who grew up in the fifties fetishize yeah. the fifties in the 1980s. Right. Yeah. So and, I think but, you but, just do a reverse of that, right? Like you, yeah, you basically exactly. remake it and you do, you have them go back to the eighties and then you do 30 years in the future from now. But, um, but it's such a weird be... script though, because when you think about it, the whole idea is, is this guy's going back in time to get his mom and dad to pardon my French fuck. And then his, his mom is so horny the, for him. man. For, exactly. And I remember like, again, like one of the things, the jokes was when that script was being sort of passed around to studios, it's like, Oh no, this is the motherfucker, uh, uh, script, right. isn't it? And, and, and yeah. a lot of people didn't want to ma- get it made because they thought it was too, uh, taboo at the time because of yeah, that. Yeah. It's his mom is very horny for him throughout the whole movie. It's, it's a little, <laughs> It's interesting that's the route that they took with this whole thing. Um, and then they kind of weirdly like, doesn't Leah Thompson come? She plays like, what didn't make sense to me sometimes in this is in the third one, doesn't she play um, the, a descendant like his great great grandmother or something yeah, like that? Yeah, and or, then or Michael I, yeah. J. Fox is playing the, yeah. that descendant of, or the husband like, of that character. It doesn't yeah. make sense that she would look like anyways if you're looking at a family tree because she would have been from a different family right Right. like 
Um, but sort of, but I don't know. Anyways, I was probably overthinking it, but, um, and she and does his, look I, a lot like, um, Zoe Deutsch, who's her, her, her daughter yes. in, in that movie. Yeah. Too. Which I didn't realize. Um, yeah. uh, she does. And, um, and Michael J. Fa- Fox doing an interesting accent in that third movie. Oh yeah. The um, Irish accent. I like that. I like his yeah. performance though. I mean, I like, he's actually Michael good. Yeah. Dave and Christopher Lloyd, like Christopher Lloyd, again, like we, we, we talked about it before with, you know, the exorcist, like, yeah, the makeup in, in this movie isn't great, but again, Christopher Lloyd looks like an old man, but I mean, he was probably in his thirties or forties at the, at the time he was making that. So. Oh, really? Yeah. He does yeah, look was, older. Yeah. 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 No, he wasn't that old. Like there are other movies that were made around that time that he's in that he's younger. I mean, he's not like baby face Christopher Lloyd or anything, but like he, he wasn't in his sixties or seventies in the, in the, you know, the 1980s. So it, it, again, like it, it, I think makeup is depending on the face on the person and, and how the makeup artist applies it and, and works with, um, the actor. So sometimes it works really well, like a Max von Sydow in, in The Exorcist. And you think that, oh, this guy's always been old. But, you know, like when they were making that movie, he was in his 40s, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you watch anything else? Oh, did Matt, you watch Matt. Dragon Ball or something? I, <laughs> or did we I talk sure about that did. last episode? No, no. I, I We talked about maybe uh, going down that route because I was watching some of the old uh, uh, anime. Wow. I could like I had never seen it before because it was during my last year of college, and I remember seeing the posters. and And by that time, I think Dragon Ball kind of w- I wasn't as interested sure. in it anymore. Like it kind of it was like I a- was sort of excited because I was a big fan of the show. But then I remember seeing the posters, and then I was working at Cineplex when when it was coming out, and I remember just going because when i worked there you'd go into a a cinema and just watch like a little bit of the movie as you're like you know cleaning or checking the theaters or something and oh boy i just remember couldn't get past that opening scene where he's like walking on the uh he's like doing a tightrope walk or something like that i just remember a scene like that yeah it's the people that made this movie had never watched dragon ball before and didn't care and like you can tell like the mythology that they bring into it, like it's all very surface level. It's like, okay, there's a character named Goku. It's basically, you know, we're taking the Superman story that this, the original series kind of stole and we're going to integrate it into this, but we're going to throw kind of like more weird zany comedy in, in there. And it doesn't really work. And the visual effects are terrible. Justin, uh, uh, Chatwin who plays Goku you couldn't find another charismaless actor for that time period. And I know him and uh, Emmy Rossum, who's also in the movie who plays Bulma, uh, were on Shameless together, the American version. But, oh, like this movie is like just lacking in every department. And it's it's so weird to see Piccolo the way that he was created. And he's barely in the movie. Like he's in it for like one scene. And it's like, okay, well, they were going to make like seven of these movies and they were kind of setting things up. It's like, why didn't you like try to make a good movie instead of just... Who's the villain in it? Piccolo, kind of. But oh, he's like okay. in the background. Yeah. He's kind of like the the puppet master. Because um, I don't think I've ever actually seen it all the way through. Just because like... And I mean, I don't think you could get away with like 
I mean, do, where is it set too? Like, do they just completely whitewash it in the sense? Oh yeah, of like yeah, and and it's yeah, and it takes like, place in high school. Like Goku never went to high school. Like like it's like it's a teen comedy at times, and you're just kind of like, yeah, this wasn't Dragon Ball at all. Like there, this has nothing to do with that. And then you know, like Chow Young Fat is Master Roshi. Like, I don't know. I, watching this movie, it was just like. Okay, I get why this movie bombed horribly. And yeah, the curiosity factor is there for people that grew up with it. But in terms of what not to do for an adaptation, this is the perfect example of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've never actually seen it all the way through. I just remember people saying it's one of the worst things that they've ever seen. So um, that's why I stayed away from it. So Yeah, it's terrible. My one wish is to erase Um, it from existence. Yeah, I um, you if you collect all the Dragon Balls, you can make that your wish. Um, I watched a movie that you watched right. I, I remember talking to you about it uh, right before everything started. I watched Contagion the other night. Um, I was watched that back in February. At home. Yeah, like right, I remember right before all of it, right when this stuff was sort of like right when the Corona COVID stuff was kind of. Uh, I remember talking to you in line. We were waiting for I forget what movie, but. Uh, what screening we were at, but you were like, yeah, I watched contagion last night. I'm like, why would you do that? And then I watched it two nights ago and I was like, why, why did we do this? <laughs> um, so Nevis, um, was saying, she's like, I want to watch a thriller tonight. Uh, can we watch contagion? And I was like, oh my God. I, I'm like, okay, let's do this. Um, I mean, I'm glad I did. I thought, I, I think contagion is a great movie and, um, it, Obviously, they did their research um, for that movie featuring, you know, the CDC and the WHO. And I'm, I'm sure there was thorough Scott Z. Burns and, and Soderbergh probably, you know, interviewed a ton of people to make sure that they were getting this right of if a pandemic were to happen, one even worse than the one we are experiencing today, um, how would you handle it? And it was kind of surreal to watch this movie that I remember seeing uh, t- almost 10 years ago, right? 2011? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, almost 10 years ago. And just remember really enjoying it and being like, fuck, that was like a horror movie. Imagine if that shit would ever come true. And then you're like, (laughs) you're, you're sitting in the middle of this shit and you watch that movie and the parallels that you see, obviously they're parallels because they, again, interviewed the people at these organizations and were like, if something were to happen like this, how would you handle it? And they're handling it like they did in the movie. Although the one in the movie is, is much, much worse. Uh, than what we're experiencing now, um, but the, yeah, I think that movie's excellent. I think the um, the the casting agent should get a, a props because a, a lot of the times I feel like stunt casting or casting giant names for uh, small roles like they do in this is kind of distracting. But I feel with this, it's actually more impactful because of it. So when you kill off certain characters without you know barely like it's just. It's unceremonious. Like, yeah, yeah, unceremonious is perfectly like off screen or or I think I said that exact word when we were watching and um and I think they do such an excellent job of just freaking you the fuck out with with that and then watching it in the middle of this was just um kind of surreal and anxiety um ridden and um but I think it is a good and necessary watch and I actually think now is the perfect time to watch it as much as it's very uncomfortable and um uh but it's 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 very stylish the score is incredible 
uh, by Cl- uh, Clint Martinez, Cliff Martinez, right? Yeah. Uh, Cl- Cliff Martinez, my bad. Thank you. Um, the score is incredible. Um, he does the whole Ocean's Eleven kind of here's how it happened kind of thing at the end, which I think is is great. And um, and just the way that they focus on – the one thing I could do without in that movie, and I was saying this to Nevis when we were watching, is the Marion Cotillard kind of uh, hostage uh, subplot. Um, like I get, I get it, but, um, I just felt like that was extra in there that I'm like, it felt very, uh, movie. Um, like that felt the most kind of, I get that that shit would happen maybe if, if a virus that bad was happening and people would, you know, take someone hostage that worked at one of these organizations to try and get the vaccine first. And then she ends up not necessarily having Stockholm syndrome, but caring about, you know, this village that, uh, she's had to stay in, but like, it just felt like it was kind of thrown in there. And, and I don't, that's my one issue with that movie where I think it's excellent. Um, but that's the one subplot where I think there's a bit too much going on. And I feel like you could have just focused on the pandemic and what was happening rather than adding this thing that felt like it was written into a movie. Yeah. I mean, Scott Z Burns script is so well structured and like, him working with Soderbergh, like it feels like this is the best of their collaborations because they also work together on um, side effects and the informant um, and more recently the laundromat, which I was kind of underwhelmed by. But with this, like it feels like, okay, we're actually seeing the world in a pandemic and how everybody is affected by it, no matter where they come from, who they are what ethnicity like it's affecting everybody and how that breaks down societal norms and it does it in such a frighteningly realistic way that it doesn't overdo it with i would agree with you like i think that section does feel the most kind of quote-unquote hollywood of it all but i understand what they're going for there i think if they were to make it now, what they would probably do is they would show like maybe a certain group of people turning on CDC and who doctors that are in the press. Like we have been seeing with certain pro Trump supporters turning on, you know, uh, the, uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID task force and things like that. But uh, overall, I think like it shows you how it affects people that are civilians and then how people in government are affected by it, how people working on the working disease are on done. It, yeah. and, and it does it in such a way that you never feel like, oh, I, I want to go back to this specific story. Once you move into, you know, this one shot or this one sequence, you kind of are as riveted or engrossed by it as the, the last one. I think Matt Damon gives one of his best performances of his entire entire career in the movie i like that it kind of almost has like a psycho-esque beginning where you're introduced yeah. to a certain actor and then Paltrow, that person yeah. yeah and that person she's basically janet lee in this in this movie um uh, like you said with the score i th- i think is incredible i think the look um that Soderbergh goes for that kind of gross yellow that sickly yellow ashtray yeah. look that he, digital he kinda, look yeah it works for this. The, the score sounds like a synth-based John Carpenter score. Like it has this kind of very unsettling vibe. And and again, I think their 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 research is is really well done. Like the, the the scene where Kate Winslet is talking about like, oh, you touch your face every like six seconds, or or you're aware of you're not aware of touching your face makes you more self-aware or hyper-aware that you are touching your face uh, at that level. So it's not only a, a must-watch; it's a must-wash. 
yeah. wash your hands, people. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, it's, it's I think everyone film. should watch this movie. It's unsettling, but um, especially right now, but you can tell um, how based in kind of reality that, that movie is and, and especially watching it in, in these times. It's on Netflix, at least here in Canada. I think it's on Crave as well. Um, but uh, I I highly suggest as, as uncomfortable as it probably will be um, to watch it. And I definitely had a lump in my throat watching the entire thing. Um, I It's definitely worth watching. Um, you watch anything else? Oh, Matt, I have a list. You watch a lot? Okay. Oh, I did. Go. I've been watching a lot of garbage, uh, specifically so have I. On- Amazon Prime. So uh, let's start with Rennie Harlan's Mind Hunters, uh, a film that I had not seen, but is basically a group of um, amateur FBI profilers that are sent to this island that it's like a training course and they're isolated from uh, the rest of society. But they one of the, the, the FBI profilers is actually a serial killer and is playing a creepy mind game with the FBI agents and one by one they're taken out. Uh, the film features people like Val Kilmer, uh, Christian Slater, who are barely in the movie, uh, L cool J and the serial killer. In this case, his obsession is time. Like everything has a deadline. And so he like pits these characters, these people against each other. And this was made back in 2005. Yeah. Cause it was the same week that it was, I remember, the same week that this movie was released was the same week that Sin City was released. And also when the new Pope was elected, Pope Benedict at the time. Um, why I remember that, I don't know. Uh, anyways. I wasn't going to ask, but. <laughs> I, I I have a weird memory. Um, but the reason why I watched this one, I just kind of wanted a fun B movie. I like some of Rennie Harlan's stuff. I think Deep Blue Sea is a, is a good time. There are moments in uh, – Die Hard 2 that are kind of fun, even though it's the the weakest of the original trilogy of Die Is Hard. Is he in movies. prison now? Rennie no, Harlan? No, it's it, John McTiernan no. who got oh, right, out yeah. because he wiretapped his producers and his wife, I believe. Um, I think okay. that was around the time that he was making 13th Warrior. Um, no, he's out of prison now, though. Ready to work. Uh, <laughs> What's the last John movie McTiernan? he directed? Uh, I think it was 16 Blocks. No, that was Richard Donner. Richard, so Richard right. Donner retired on 16 blocks. Um, good question. I'll have to look that up. But anyways, back to the Rennie Harlan thing. So this came out at around a time where like, you know, it's not being ironic with like kind of the action tropes. And there are two amazing one-liners with the LL Cool J character. And it basically, I mean, without spoiling it, it ends almost exactly the same way as Deep Blue Sea. Uh, one of the lines, so the, there's like a countdown clock. And once this clock reaches a countdown, uh, a character is killed off. And uh, LL Cool J has a line like, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, who's the next motherfucker to go? And you're just like, who wrote this? Um, and then the other one, and, and one of the writers is uh, Wayne Kramer, who wrote and directed uh, Running Scared, that Paul Walker uh, movie from, I think it was 2008 or 2009. Um, and then the other line with L Cool J. Is, I actually kind of like Running Scared. I'm going to throw that out there. It's been a while. I remember it being hyper violent and like everybody kind of talking and about really how fucked up. Yeah, the ending. How violent really it was. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like the the pedophile parents that kind of like yeah yeah that stuff. Um, but then the other line that's really funny. It's like the the serial killer. I won't give it away who it is, but it kind of is obvious as soon as he starts talking who it is. Um. 
he like he preys on everybody and finds a weakness and so the final showdown between the t- two of the survivors one of which is spoiler ll cool j and uh, another person and there's kind of like this kind of like final showdown and she shoots the serial killer the uh, one of the survivors he falls in the water and ll cool j is like i guess we found his uh, his weakness bullets <laughs> just like come on really um so I guess I mean it was worth the watch for for those two lines, but it's uh it's a pretty bad movie. Like you could tell this like this was the end of Rennie Harlan's career as a Hollywood director after you know many many uh bombs like Cutthroat Island and uh The Long Kiss uh Goodnight and things like that. So it, it was just interesting watching because I I'd never seen it. And I do like that premise like it, it i mean there's basically a sequence that is just ripping off the thing where they all have to take their blood and they put it into a dna uh sort of match making machine and it'll decide whether or not like whose blood matches the killers and things like that and like it, it has that kind of guise of like csi so it's the way that it's shot and edited and the saturation the look of it it just looks like an episode I know I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it like it feels like if Tony Scott had made this, it would have worked a little bit better, but it just feels like it's kind of capitalizing on those shows at that period because they were quite popular in the in the early 2000s and I think we're still going at that point. Um I'll try to run through some of these. Uh I watched another Mark Dukaskis uh movie which is a ripoff of uh Predator and Indiana Jones called DNA. Um, it's about a uh, creature that's stalking a group of scientists and mercenaries. Uh, Mark Dacascus plays a doctor whose formula has been used to bring back an alien species that was worshipped by uh, an ancient tribe and now it's on uh, a war path to kill people and the CIA gets involved and uh, he has to stop it. It's not that good, but I remember the poster and the VHS box cover going into video stores as a kid. And I don't know if it's, if it's Amazon prime or if it's the transfer of the film, but anytime it's night, it doesn't look like it's been properly uh, um, updated for a Blu-ray release, which it hasn't gotten yet, but film rise picked it up for, for Blu-ray. And I'm just looking at them like, this doesn't even so look maybe like it's they- a standard def. Uh, yeah, transfer? they took any Probably, time yeah. time for it, and it's uh, it's not good, Matt. It's not good at all. Uh, <laughs> I watched. I've, the- I've had hit or miss experiences with Amazon Prime. Like, I mean, um, just to go off that, like, it's yeah. not as bad as Crave. I think when it comes to the compression and things like that. Like, um, I've been watching. Um, I'll get into it in a sec. I'll let you finish. But like, I've been watching Harley Quinn on on Netflix, and it looks pretty good. But but it's in 4K HDR on DC universe in, in the U S so I have to deal with fucking commercials in the middle of it and stuff like that. And a 1080 P transfer. Um, but it does look good. I don't notice much compression on that, but animated would obviously be much different than this movie. <laughs> yeah. Although there I'll talk is, about that in a sec. There is some, um, CGI effects that look terrible. Like it, it reminded me of, um, reptile in mortal Kombat, like it's the same level of cgi animation it just looks 
awful. And the practical effect for the creature isn't that bad. It even kind of looks like the Predator a little bit, like even like the um, the Jean-Claude Van Damme version, just more lizard instead of insectoid. Um, a movie that I also watched on uh, Amazon Prime that looked terrible, that actually wasn't the fault of Amazon prime, but was the fault of the filmmakers is a little movie from the late eighties, a Canadian classic, if you will, called things. Uh, it's about two hosers who basically go up to their, uh, uh, one of the brothers, uh, cabin in the woods, go drinking beers, have a good time. Uh, but the wife who, uh, is pregnant gives birth to ant like creatures, that spill out into the house and attack them. It's out of focus for the whole film. The shots don't match up anytime it's <laughs> cross cutting or connecting. All the dialogue has been ADR'd and it's amazing. This movie is what the room should be. Like, I feel like things should have the same kind of cult status that. Uh, the room does and like even the way that they have this framing device of a news reporter who's played by a porn star uh amber lynn sort of chime in from time to time uh they couldn't pay her enough to take off her top so they just have her reading like these these cue cards off the to the side and you can see her just like like yes and and news today george a romero was uh uh, back in court fighting over uh, legal rights for Night of the Living Dead. And you're, you're just like, what is this? What am I watching? And then it cuts to like her co-anchor who was clearly not on set that day in a different room. It looks like a student film, but there's some amazing lines. Their Canadian accents are out of this world. Incredible. And just like the one guy sounds like Jonah Hill if he were like from Nova Scotia. Sweet, sweet. So I highly recommend you uh, you give that one a shot. <laughs> I can't can't say I'll probably watch that, but I appreciate your insight on it. Yes, um, I will quickly run through these ones. I rewatched To Live and Die in L.A., which I think is one of William Friedkin's last great movies. Uh, you would really like it a, a lot, actually. Okay, it's, a, it's your cool. standard kind of like L.A. based cop movie. It kind of feels a little bit like something Michael Mann might have done in the 1980s, but maybe just a little bit more seedy, a little bit more sexy, if you will, with a Wang Chung soundtrack and uh, William Peterson playing a cop who's after a counterfeiter played by a very young looking uh, Willem Dafoe. Okay, it is cool. the definition I of 80s. It. Yeah, and it's, I, it's a fun film. I liked Killer Joe. Was that the last thing he... No, am I thinking of he, Killer Joe? Did he direct? He directed. Yeah, that, yeah, no, right? he directed. Yeah, because he, yeah. he directed both uh, uh, or two of the three big Tracy Lett plays uh, with Bug and Killer Joe. He didn't direct uh, uh, Osage, uh, Osage, uh, um, uh, County, uh, Osage, Osage yeah. County, or whatever. Yeah, August Osage County. Um, I've never seen Bug. Any good? Or yeah, Bug is great. Um, but that's a weird one. I don't know if it's available on iTunes, but it's never been released on Blu-ray. I think it had a DVD release when it was with Lionsgate, but it's basically like a two-hander with uh, Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon in this hotel room, basically sort of going down this downward spiral of insanity and they think that there are bugs in their skin and that people are watching them and they basically tinfoil this whole uh, hotel room. Sweet. I, I do want to watch it. I, um, I, I remember it. I saw killer Joe at TIFF. Did we see that together? 
No, was that uh, before? Maybe that was a year before. Yeah, maybe that was a year before. Yeah. I, oh, I saw it with Mike Munz, our friend Mike. But I do like Freakin' a lot. But um, I watched uh, half of the first episode of Cursed Films. Um, yes. I know we wanted to watch that. And you did an interview with Jay this week, right? Is that up yet or no? Uh, did it's, I spoil that? It's air- no, 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 no. It's airing right now you on Rogers. It, it should – yeah, it should be up probably by the end of – today as we're recording this or early on tuesday so check back on the social medias i'll post it when it's it's available but yeah all five episodes of cursed are now streaming on shutter and i highly recommend them uh the i think the the where it really starts to hit is the poltergeist episode uh poltergeist followed by the crow and twilight zone the movie because you're starting to actually get into tragedies that had this weird kind of lasting effect not only on the people that were involved on set but also on how sort of horror fans looked at the mythology of of horror films and sort of perpetuated this kind of legend of like oh did you hear that this movie is cursed because this person died on set and what Jay does so wonderfully is that he takes this step back and looks at it at a very human point of view and says like, yeah, like it's a, it's either a great movie or like, I can understand why people would want to sort of mythologize this thing. But at the same time, you have to realize, you know, people died or were seriously injured on these sets and for what reason or what was the cost and looking at those last episodes, like, at the beginning of the poltergeist episode, which is the third, you see, you know, film experts and, and critics uh, like Ryan Turk, like Ryan Turk uh, works at Blumhouse and he has this kind of almost weirdly smug delivery of like, you know, like, Oh, well the, the poltergeist cursed is, is cool because, you know, we, we, we had, uh, uh, they had, they had skeletons on set, real skeletons. And then when you get to the end of it and you see uh, the special effects makeup artist, Craig Reardon, talk about that, that it's actually – and I didn't know this, that it's it's common practice to have real skeletons because they're cheaper than actually making fake ones. And they've been doing this since like the 1930s. So this isn't like new. And all the skeletons weren't like dug up from graves. They were brought in. It wasn't um, just know. this movie. It was a regular practice. That's yeah. Yes, exactly. And 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 skeletons are brought in from like, you know, anatomy schools and things like that. They're not like, you know, shipped in from other countries or dug up at the nearest cemetery. And so like he and rightfully so, Craig Reardon takes offense to people saying that 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 you know, him making these, these skeletons or applying extra effects on them with the, the pool sequence caused Heather O'Rourke and uh, Dominique Dunn's deaths, which Heather O'Rourke died of uh, a health issue that was misdiagnosed. And Dominique Dunn was killed by an abusive ex-boyfriend. So like he does not mince words and watching that, it really puts you into the perspective of it and like with brendan lee dying on the set of the crow like i was never really sure of the logistics of how that happened but it's explained in a way that you actually see like okay this is how the fake bullet would have become an actual live round and um yeah it's some pretty powerful stuff in the twilight zone episode 
I heard they I show the like footage. John which is Lan- like, they, they yeah. do, but I think they need. I think with the context of what they're talking about, and especially showing the production designer Richard Sawyer, who is still suffering. He has post traumatic stress syndrome, and he like has imagine, never been able yeah. to to shake it. But I used to. I was one of those, and I think a lot of people do like John Landis as a personality. I mean, American Werewolf in London is a great film. Blues Brothers is fantastic. Um, and he he has this kind of charm of this, like, you know, 1970s, early 80s filmmaker that's kind of, like, rough around the edges, but also, like, kind of a bit of a, a wild guy. But then watching this, it's like, what were you doing? You know, like... There are there are smaller productions like a trauma production that take more care into the safety of the people working in and on the set than you know a giant Spielberg production did in 1983, you know, and it just makes you think like John Landis I think kind of got off a little easy because he was charged with manslaughter and the jury found him not guilty. I kind of think not that it was just on him. I think there were other people that allowed the scene to be shot with Vic Morrow and these two Vietnamese children, but they didn't need to do it. The the people that lost their lives didn't need to die over something like this. So, yeah. And watching that didn't need to get that shot. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's doing something new. Yeah. And it's doing something new with it as well. Like it's not just telling you the same story you might've heard on a Blu-ray special feature or on a e-talk or e- Hollywood true story thing like it's actually getting to a very sincere direct perspective and letting the people that were involved tell their story so I I, again I think it's a a fantastic series Um, I can jump into some more that I've watched Um, I watched Casino Royale uh, which I think holds up uh, completely Um, I I was going to wait to watch the Daniel Craig Bond movies closer to the release of No Time to Die uh, in November. Um, I mean, originally I was going to watch them now because that release date was supposed to be very, very soon. Um, But rewatch Casino Royale, I still think it's a fantastic Bond movie. Um, A great debut from Daniel Craig. Um, Love everything from that black and white opening with uh, Bond's first uh, couple kills uh, to the what seemingly feels like an hour and a half poker scene. Um, but I love it. I think it's riveting. Uh, I think Mads Mikkelsen is fantastic. Um, I think breaking up that poker game into multiple days and having essentially these interludes in between the the playing moments where Bond has to be Bond. Uh, well, the action Bond rather than the outsmart Bond. but. Um, yeah, I, I, I love everything about it. I think maybe it it's a little long-winded in the sense where you get to the end and you go to Venice and you have that whole sequence. It's, um, I don't know, I, f- I feel the length a little bit um, near the end of it um, and how that all plays out with Vesper um, I think is, is interesting. I don't love all of that, but uh, overall I think it's a really 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 solid james bond movie and a great kind of kickoff for that version of the character and um i'm i'm curious i wanted to watch quantum closer to finishing um casino because i really do feel like it as an epilogue and i feel like it's better when you watch it immediately after because it starts moments after that movie ends um so i feel like with some distance it doesn't play as well 
Um, but again, I'm curious because I'm going to go one rewatch um, Quantum Skyfall and Spectre. I'm actually really interested in rewatching because I haven't seen it since that really terrible press screening we went to um, oh, God. Uh, a couple years ago. Uh, which Don't I you think kind of miss hint- it now, though. A little bit, but um, I really miss actually. Sony hasn't done this since I, like, I'm not saying I'm taking credit for it, but when I I, I complained uh, consistently about their presentation at press screenings, but like, um, yeah, when it was projected for people listening, like I know we haven't complained about um, you know, presentation because there is no presentation. Um, it was projected in like that fucking rectangle in the middle of the screen, so you had bars at the top and bottom and the left and right. Um, and it just kind of like, you know, me, like I get, I get fuming angry when that shit happens, but Spectre was a movie that I'm like, I don't want to leave. Cause like, I've been looking forward to this movie. Like, I don't want to leave and have to come back and see it another time. So I, 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 I watched it and I, I remember being, I don't think Spectre was a bad movie. I just remember being very underwhelmed with it. And so I, I think out of all of them, I'm, I'm curious to rewatch Spectre the most. Um, I still, I can't wait to watch Skyfall in 4k. Um, that's what I'm really anticipating as well, but, um, I could do without quantum, but we'll get through it. But yeah, casino is a great movie. Are you going to try and rewatch them before? No yeah. I, I mean, I have the, the 4k collection, but, um, I'll, I'll watch them now closer to the release. Actually, it was supposed to come out last weekend, right? Originally. I think and then so. It was yeah. yeah. The end of, uh, April and then they moved it to November. Right. Where right. it still sits right now. Um, Casino Royale, great ball torture. Um, one oh of the my most- God, that scene is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm grabbing a beer one and keep most, talking. One of the most effective uh, Bond villain torture uh, sequences. And I also really, really like uh, Eva Green uh, quite a bit as Vesper. Even though I do agree with you, the Venice stuff is a little tagged on at the end. And it feels like, okay, well, let's let's wrap this up. Because for a film that's kind of pretty lean and mean throughout the entire running time and, and knows where it's going and how it's going to get there and, and runs as smoothly as an Aston Martin. Um, it just kind of does feel a little bit clunky. Like they weren't really sure how to end it or how to kind of like maybe set up the sequel, or maybe they had the sequel in mind and they were thinking, okay, well we want this to be more of a direct continuation than sort of, con- uh, you know, another chapter in the bond series. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really good movie and, um, I still think Skyfall is my favorite of Same. the, uh, I think, the, the but... Craig series, but overall, I mean, like even quantum isn't as bad as some of, no. uh, the Roger Moore movies, you know, like, the, like by the end when Roger Moore was kind of doing a view to a kill, even though Christopher Walken's great in that movie, you could tell like they were really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel with that series. So, and Moonraker is pretty boring as well. Um, so I take, yeah, I, I would say like Moon the Ranker. worst of, yeah, the worst of the Craig stuff is just kind of underwhelming. Like they're not bad movies. I think they're just kind of like, I could, I don't need to watch that again, but they're not bad, but I'm curious to see how I feel. Uh, rewatching these uh quickly i can talk about some of the other stuff that i've been watching i mean that's mostly all we have to talk about anyway but um from a movie perspective i watched uh like i mentioned uh the first three transformers movies all 176 hours of them um this weekend um 
God, uh, Revenge of the Fallen, Eric, is one of the biggest oh, pieces of shit. I like it's so bad. And like I gave it a one and a half, and I feel like I should have given it lower. I don't know why I gave it one and a half. There's uh, the forest sequence is pretty cool. I remember seeing that in IMAX, and like I like seeing Optimus Prime fight Megatron. But um, it's pretty progressive, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it's just I I forgot like. I haven't watched these movies in a while. Like I've seen all of them in theaters and like, I don't think I'd rewatched any of them in a very long time. Um, and, uh, it's funny watching a movie that's like, you know, late two thousands, um, early 2010s even, and just seeing like how dated they feel like that first transformers movie, which I remember enjoying. Like, I remember going like the first one's not that bad, right? Like the first one's pretty good. Um, but I think we have 2007 glasses on when we watch it or, or think of it. Um, that's when it came out, right? I think 2007. Yeah, that was that was um, the time when cultural appropriation and 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 fetishizing of women's bodies was just normal, you know? Yeah, just racist humor, and um, it's just it's the first one is not it, it's bad, but it's not like offensively bad. Where the second one is offensively bad. Well, and I twins, would say right? the twins are awful. Just, yeah, the way that they sexualize Megan Fox and then Rosie Huntington Wheatley in, in the third one um, is just, it's kind of, it's just gross. And um, uh, the the action scenes are incomprehensible at, at, at best and, um, and at worst are just like hurt your eyes. Um, I think Dark of the Moon weirdly is is the one I remember seeing in theaters and thinking, I'm like, Oh, that was at least the amount of ridiculousness. And, and it still takes itself way too serious, but it got to the point where they're like, let's just blow up Chicago, just all of Chicago and have buildings fall over and just have this epic crazy thing where I feel like when you get to like Egypt in the second movie and you're just seeing sand get blown up and pyramids kind of, get destroyed and and just it there's no sense of destruction in the sense of um not saying that seeing you know people die or a city get blown up especially post 9-11 like is entertaining but um at least there was a sense of like oh they're really like this is fucking crazy they're blowing up this whole city having this this battle and i i can appreciate some of dark of the moon because of that again not a great movie at all um but I think out of the first three movies, it was the one where I'm like, okay, this is like, I understand what's happening here with the Leonard Nimoy fucking uh, uh, Sentinel Prime and, and his motivations and shit like that and why he turns on the, the spoilers, turns on the Autobots and, and stuff, where I feel like the plot of the first two movies are like, wait, what, what the fuck is Devastator and the Fallen in the second one? And like... Uh, even Megatron in the in the first, it's just like, and then they keep retconning like how long the Transformers. Even though, to be fair, I keep saying that they retcon it, but in the opening of the first movie, they do say that they've been here since seventeen hundred or seventeen thousand BC and things like that. So, I mean, uh, or in the second one or something like that. But in the in the beginning of the first, they don't necessarily tell you. Um. Uh. But anyways, it's they're not good. Um, so I blame Tim Geddes of kind of funny for making me watch this, not making me, but they're doing the in review and I'm like, uh, I'm a, a willing participant. Um, cause I, I'm a completionist much like you are. 
um, in the sense of I've watched and listened to every episode of in review that they've done and they're doing the transformers franchise as well as back to the future right now. So that's kind of fueled what I've been watching. And, um, I, I got through, luckily they're mostly on both Amazon prime and Netflix. So I only had to rent revenge of the fallen. It's the only one I had to pay for so far. Um, and they're all in 4k. And usually I know much like you, Eric, I'm like, if a 4k is available, that's the version I want to watch. I have a 4k TV. I, I want to see it in the best quality as I possibly could. Um, but I'm like with something like this. And I, when they did the DC, uh, in review, I'm like, I can't, even if it's available in 4k, I will watch it in 1080p on Netflix. Um, cause I do not want to pay for it. Um, I am looking forward to watching not watching, I will watch them, but the Mark Wahlberg Transformers movies, as well as uh, I am looking forward to rewatching Bumblebee, which I haven't watched since we saw it in theaters. So, Anyways, Yeah, and that should be a, a a breath of fresh air, you know? I, I think the biggest problem uh, I right have... Right at the those, end of the tunnel, yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest problem I have with those movies, obviously, like, you watching those back-to-back is insane, because, like, they just feel like they're the same film going on for, you know, nine hours, but is the length. Like they don't need to be two and a half to three hours long. And yeah, like the, the Chicago and they get longer. sequence. I know. And the Chicago sequence is kind of fun. Like I like the aerial wingsuits when they're diving in and things like that. But <laughs> the line but we got a takes, wingsuit in is amazing. But that takes like what? Like two and a half hours to get to? It's like it's not worth it. And Michael Bay is self-indulgent as a filmmaker already. I mean, he's kind of like the ultimate bro dude of cinema. But like it just feels like everything that makes Michael Bay tick and gets him off is in this movie. And you spend too much time getting to know him through these films. And I just like, and not getting to know anyone in these movies. Cause no, it, no, like, I don't care. They who focus Sam Wiki is doing. Yeah. They focus so much on the humans when you're like, no one, this movie is called transformers. No one gives a fuck about any of the human characters. Why is Tyrese here? Why? Like, just why is, why do you see so much of Sam's parents getting stoned for 20 blaze it, um, at the John college and like, so many Cohen Brothers alum, where you're like, "Why are you guys in these movies?" Francis McDormand, um, John Malkovich, Buzz yeah, Aldrin. <laughs> yeah, Buzz Aldrin's legitimately in the movie. Um, they have to tie Transformers into every historical thing that's ever happened in the history of time. Um, and the they're just ridiculous. Don't look and, good. Like that's the no, other thing. Like they all, other than Optimus and Bumblebee, they all look kind of the same. The same. Yeah, and that's my biggest issue is like at least if you would have had a vibrant color palette where each Decepticon or each Autobot had like a, you know, oh, that green one is is jazz or, or the black one is jazz or whatever. And like um, – and you had like a distinct color palette to what each one was, but they're all like a gray silver and you're like they all look the same. I don't know if that's Megatron or Starscream or like – and the – again, and they barely give the – the transformers any like um dialogue to the point where you really only hear optimus and megatron for the most part so half the time you don't know who these other people are because they're or other robots are because they're not talking and then 90 percent of the time they're focusing on the humans and you're like i don't fucking care like i i get that you want to ground the movie and have it take place on earth 
um, cause that is essentially what transformers is, but get like cut the characters in half. Why are you introducing all of these fucking people like the army and John Turturro's character and yeah, all these different sections and then they bring people back and then like, it's just, there's so much going on. And like you said, they're like fucking a hundred hours long each that. And they look, like, ugly. Why? they look so yeah, yeah. fucking ugly. Like yeah, his movies everything about look it does. They're cheap. They're, they're, they're easy to probably put together. Like he just probably spends like a day or a day and a half, you know, on set and gets second unit to shoot all of the, you know, the big stunt stuff and, and all the, the, the major set pieces. And yeah, again, like the reason why all the army stuff is in there is because that's the thing that Michael Bay likes in his films. He likes the military, you know, pro, uh, conservative kind of groups being, kind of combined in there like with john voight in the first one and things like that and then also like the either the sexist or racist stereotypes of like ken jong in the third one or rain yeah. wilson in the second one you know usually or, or so Bernie Mac in the first movie yeah. like and yeah and it just feels like okay we'll get somebody who's kind of like quote-unquote funny but we'll have them playing on their ethnicity or on their their look and like make them kind of like pervy scumbags and again like it's like I don't, I don't need to see this much Michael Bay. I don't need, I don't need to know that this is the stuff that you like. This is, this is too much for me. Sorry. And I can deal with Michael Bay machismo, like in certain things, like in the rock and even, you know, Armageddon to a sense. Uh, um, but I, I don't, I, I don't know the transformers movies. Like when I was a, you know, I guess I wasn't even a teenager when the first one came out. I guess I was, I was eight, 18, um, but I don't know, man, I'm going to, the Wahlberg ones I haven't watched or I haven't even thought about since we saw them in theaters. And then, um, I don't even know what they, I can't even remember what they're called. Um, the last night I think was the last one. Right. And then the one before that, uh, can't even remember, but Bumblebee is good. Legitimately good. Corny at times. John Cena is terrible, but in a fun way. So right. we'll see. I'll, I'll check back with you once i watch those over the next couple weeks so i should probably uh, watch six underground at some point and just get it over dude, with. no my dad did i tell you my dad texted me i have a six underground story so okay, um, bring my, it dad, on. My, my dad texted me he's like i just watched that ben affleck movie and i was like on netflix and i was like what what ben affleck movie he's like the one where they're like um mercenaries or something or, or robbing banks triple or frontier like, that's what he was uh, thinking no, and that, right? well that's what i was saying i was like triple frontier with like oscar isaac and and and, and he's like no he's like no uh, and this is when i had that 45 minute phone call with him and i'm like trying racking my brain around i'm like what fucking movie is he talking about? And then we, we got off the phone call and then he texted me later and he's like, Oh, six underground. And I was like, one Ben Affleck, not in that movie Two, that movie is so fucking bad. I had to leave like three quarters of the way through or halfway through. Cause it was so bad. Imagine Eric, everything you talked about. Um, imagine someone let Michael Bay off of his leash. Imagine he was on a leash. Like Paramount had him on a leash and and then they just Netflix just said, you know what? Do whatever you want. <laughs> and imagine what comes out of that. And that's what you get with Six Underground. And my dad said he was like, it was one of the worst things I've ever watched in my life. And I was like, thank you. Because I was sitting there with our friend Ben Shane. 
Um, and, uh, Ben was like, uh, he, he brought me because the way Netflix stuff works, I, I won't get into it, but anyways, Ben brought me as his plus one and I felt bad cause I leaned over to him and like even 10 minutes in, I was like, Oh Jesus Christ. No, this is, I thought this would be like, maybe Michael Bacon sometimes be that ridiculous kind of fun. Like if you, if you buy into it, you can kind of be like, okay, this is stupid. I know what this is. Let's try to have fun with it. Um, or it can go that other side of it of being overly long and boring, or it can go that other side of like, this is obscenely terrible. And it was that. And um, I got I got longer than I thought into it, but then I, I was maybe an hour, hour and a half in, and I was like, I got to go. I can't do this anymore. Um, there's a moment where Ryan Reynolds, uh, um, not really a spoiler, but he uses the um, THX sound as um, part of his heist plan to blow up all the windows or something and distract people. And, um, you know, and there's so much sexism and, and horrible humor and ultraviolence. It's really bad, but you should watch it just cause I want to see what you would think. But yeah, I mean, like he is, Michael Bay is like truly the worst version of your dad. Like the worst, like absolute <laughs> not version my, of, not your dad, dad, not Mike, yeah. but, but like yeah. a dad in general, like all the things that are that you would kind of consider maybe charming or like, Oh, that's like such a dad thing, but it's like dad to the extreme. And like, it's just like, if you gave dad $200 million to do whatever he wants, uh, which middle America, that, dad would, be your mo- that, that would be your movie. And that's what Michael Bay kind of is like. It's dad rock, the movie, but not in a fun sexy way. Sexy cars, it's- sexy women, sexy limbs getting blown off. Um, God, it's, bad. I like and pain Ryan, and, and, Ryan and gain. Pain and Gain yeah. is legitimately good, but but Pain and Gain is weird now to me because every time I think about that movie, I have like a smell associated with it. Because I think we've talked about this before on the regular show. We're just going into bark, stories, right? yeah. So, so like right before the movie began, it's a it's a packed theater on a uh, the Friday night of it opening at Young and Dundas. Back when we were back when we were allowed to be no, wasn't it Young and Eglinton? No, it was Young, Young and Dundas. I, I, what? you might have seen it at Young and Eglinton, but I caught it because oh, I missed you, it. Yes, you saw it at a different spot. Yeah, yeah. So I saw it at uh, opening night, uh, Young and Dundas. I think it was, it was one of the smaller theaters because I was surprised that they were putting like a new release in the smaller theater because the theater was packed. I was about like maybe in the middle somewhere. And like the second row from the ground, somebody just vomits all over <laughs> the I floor. I I was there with you. I feel like we no, saw no. this together. No, no, no. I was by myself. I remember because okay. like I was thinking to my, I was thinking to myself like if I was with anybody, they would tell me to leave because. So the the pre-show ends. Uh, the movie trailers are about to start. This guy vomits all over the floor everybody moves. So some people did leave and other people were looking for like, you know, single seats if there were any left. And there's like this huge gaping spot, like dead center or dead center kind of at the bottom where like, you know, the rails are. And and it's like, like after the second trailer, like the smell was just almost unbearable and people are waiting. It's like, someone's going to come in, right. And clean this up before the movie starts. Somebody's going to come in. Right. 
no one came in for like the first 10 minutes of that movie and then someone did because it was just too much like the smell was like <laughs> it got to the point where i thought like i was going to be sick and so someone finally came in and like as soon as this person came in with like you know a, a mop and bucket and cleaning supplies the whole theater erupted into cheers <laughs> That's the so, worst. But I mean, if if anything, it's a it's a metaphor for Michael Bay movies. So I don't know. In a way, uh, yeah. In a in a way. Um, God. So I'll, I'll I'll check back with you when um when I watch the rest of the fucking Transformers movies. Um, I watched Trolls World World Tour. Um, we can save that to maybe when you um watch it and maybe we'll review it or something like that. But uh, overall, I thought it was cute and and very very enjoyable um don't need to go into much more than that and then i think that's pretty much it from what i watched on a uh a movie perspective um i did watch the first season of harley quinn uh the animated series which is available on dc universe in the u.s and on adult swim canada uh here in canada um, it is excellent. And Eric, I'm telling you, it doesn't seem like it would be something that is your thing on, on, you know, on paper or whatever, but, um, it is, I heard through the, you know, on the internet and, and some people say that it was fantastic, but, um, with certain li- things like this, I'm like, okay, is it like DC fanboy saying that it's very, very good or, or is it legitimately good? And, um, I threw it on with Nevis and it's become our kind of like nighttime, uh, I mean, not really. It was going to be like, oh, we'll throw it on before bed or whatever and enjoy an episode. And I was like, Nevis, I think you would like this. So let, let's let's try to watch this together. And we watched the first season and we just flew through it. And it is fucking excellent. And it's like an R-rated um, animated series uh, focused on Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and their crew. Um, but it involves Batman and Gotham in general and all the different Batman villains. And it's way nerdier than I expected it. So like going into like kind of deep into the, you know, like imagine the um, condiment man joke from Lego Batman, but like R rated versions of that joke. So where they go into like the history of DC and like, make fun of certain villains like kite man plays like a big role in the series um and uh there's and a real poison character ivy is kite one of the man? coolest there sure is eric and he is fantastic you would laugh your ass off i'm telling you um and poison ivy is one of the coolest representations of that character uh, i have ever seen um they have king shark part of their crew clayface is excellent psycho who is a wonder woman villain um, is in there, but then they also play with Batman and commissioner Gordon's just an alcoholic. And he, he's always complaining about how his marriage is terrible. And Batman is played by Diedrich Bader, who, who also played him in Batman, the bold and the brave. Um, but it's very, a modern interpretation of Batman. Uh, Jacob Tremblay plays, um, uh, Damian Wayne Robin in the series. And there's a great episode with him as Damian Wayne and, and Robin, um, there, they go into like, uh, Wayne Knight plays, um, the, uh, the penguin, which is fantastic. I haven't heard that guy's voice in a really long time. I remember specifically going, what happened to Wayne Knight, man? Like he was everywhere in the nineties. There's so much Seinfeld and curb your enthusiasm, like alum. Did Nevis like go, Sm- Hello Newman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so JB smooth plays one of poison Ivy's like, 
like plants. Think of um, what's the plant's name from um, Little Audrey Shop of too. Horrors? Yeah, think of Audrey Two, but Poison Ivy's version of Audrey Two. Um, you have um, shit. What are some of the other uh, Seinfeld alum? Nevis, who are some of the other Seinfeld alum that are in the show that we talked about? Jason Alexander plays um, uh, their like uh, landlord who rents them out. Cy, he's like this Jewish, like old, like uh, dude who like Cy Borgman is his name. He was like an old spy. He's probably in a DC character that I don't really know about, but like there's a weird amount of Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm alum in the series. Um, yeah. I mentioned JB Smoove. Um, uh, it, it is fantastic and I can't rave enough about this show. And it's like just a half hour cartoon. Um, it's, weekly on dc universe season two's on right now um joker plays a huge role into the first season with and and the relationship between him and harley um and uh i could if you were a fan of batman or dc comics and stuff like that like their interpretations of aqua superman is fucking hilarious lois lane is awesome there's a great sequence with them um wanda sykes plays a great like obscure dc villain that messes with storybook characters but it's like really fucked up at times too like like horrifically fucked up um and i can't uh, i can't rave about it anymore because like i just if you here in canada if you have amazon prime you can sign up for a free trial of stack tv which is kind of the chorus um internet streaming version of their network so i think you can stream like global and um adult swim and HGTV and all their channels or whatever and food network and shit like that. But adult swim is one of the channels that they have. So you can stream it on Amazon prime through stack TV. It's just an extra subscription you need on top of your Amazon prime subscription. Um, or if you're in the U S just watch it on DC universe. I'm sure there's free trials and things like that. So um, Harley Quinn, very, very good. And Eric, I think you would actually genuinely like it's, it's not at that Deadpool level of like obnoxious. Like it's actually really, really clever. And you being a Batman fan and know the villains and things like that. Like, I think you would, you would enjoy the obscure references and different things like that. Um, so anyways, it's, it's really, really good. Um, well, not, not only am I a Batman fan, uh, I'm a Diedrich Bader fan, Drew Carey show all the way. Um, yeah, it's that does sound like a lot of fun. And again, like you know, is uh, does Patrick Warburton have a uh, do any voices? No, not yet. So I mean, um, who am I? Jim Rash does the the Riddler. Um, you have um, what's his name from Veep and Arrested Development? Um, uh, Tony Hale. Uh, Tony Hale does Psycho. Um, you have. Uh, uh, Alan Tudyk does a bunch of voices. You have some like voice actors and then you have um, uh, Lake Bell who does Poison Ivy, um, Kaylee Cuoco who does Harley Quinn. Um, and it's just about Harley making it out on her own, right? And stop being the, it, her not being the Joker sidekick anymore and, and being taken seriously as a, as a villain and all the voices that they get for the different Batman villains are, are really um, Christopher Maloney does Christopher Go- uh, or commissioner Gordon. Um, and it's just, 
Uh, Bane is fantastic. Uh, Nevis just yelled, talk about Bane in the background. Um, so they give Bane the Tom Hardy Bane voice, but he's more the Bane from like the animated series. But it's actually like this. And he's like, but, and then a lot of the jokes are like the Legion of Doom going to their office, which is like the Facebook office. And they like, you're, you're seeing the Legion of Doom, like as if they were coworkers and things like that. So like Bane would be in a meeting and he's like, I think we need to fix the coffee machine. And like, um, like just stupid, simple everyday things. But then Bane, it becomes more and more of a presence throughout the first season. And it is, he just wants everything to blow up, which is like the main joke about Bane in the whole series is like, can we make it explode? And then, um, anyways, it's, it's way funnier. If you watch it, my impersonations aren't great, but, um, it's just, I don't even know who does Bane's voice, but like they get like some legitimately great actors to come in and do a lot of the voices. And, um, I'm consistently impressed with who I hear, um, pops up throughout it. And they just, uh, in the second season, I don't want to give anything away, but they introduce some like really great characters that haven't really gotten their due, whether it's in DC films. And I know DC does a bunch of these animated movies and things like that, which are usually pretty good. Um, but this is a, you know, a weekly, uh, animated series that I, I was completely blown away by. And I think is really, really excellent. Well, with birds of prey coming out on uh 4k and blu-ray in May, I think I'll have to uh, watch this and kind of, even though it's obviously not kind of think of it as like a continuation weirdly, cause it, it, is it little, might be yeah. the only continuation we get because of how it did in the, uh, the box office. And I think it continues that vibe. Like it's still very different, but if you dug the vibe of birds of prey, it continues that in this series, it is still very different. I think it's even nerdier than birds of prey. Um, but I, I definitely think if you dug that vibe, they kind of continue that in this series. Um, and then quickly, um, I'm jumping into my Apple TV app. Uh, we've already, we're an hour and a half and we're still talking about what we've been watching, but that's cool. Um, I started watching. Yeah, that's all we got. So, uh, the better call Saul finale is tonight. Very, very excited for that. I'll probably stay up late to, um, watch that finale. This season has been fantastic. What I love about that show is, um, it being, I I've talked about it numerous times, but being a prequel to breaking bad, um, but you're involving all these characters where we already kind of know their fates. We know what happens to Gustavo Fring. We know what happens to Mike Ehrmantraut. We know what happens to Saul Goodman. Um, the introduction of Kim, his, 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 uh, partner in this series, I think is so intelligent and smart by, um, by Vince Gilligan and God, what's the guy? Um, the other guy who, I forget his name. I, I'm sorry, but the, the main showrunner on, on Better Call Saul, I think is so smart because it always has someone who you don't, don't know their fate in, in a lot of the plot of the series in the sense of like, it would be hard to feel the, the amount of tension I feel in that series if you didn't have Kim involved, because you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, but Kim being there and Kim not being a part of Breaking Bad and you have no idea what happened to her or if she was around during that whole time, but we just never saw her or, or what the hell happened to Kim, I think is such a smart way of, of keeping that tension throughout that series and have keeping you guessing throughout all of it. Um, and the last episode with, 
um, what they do with, with Kim and one of the Salamanca uh, family members um, is just, it was so tense and, and I love seeing more of Mike and Saul. And I think that show is, is absolutely incredible. And there's, I think one more season. So there's the finale tonight and then one more season in a couple of years. And um, I'm very, very excited to watch that. So I've been keeping up with breaking bad or not breaking bad, better call Saul. And then uh, I started watching uh, two FX shows or I bought them. Uh, I want to watch Devs, which I've purchased because the first season just finished. Um, haven't gotten around to it yet, but I did purchase it because it was $17 on iTunes, which I think is a pretty good deal if you want the the whole series in, in, t- in a much better quality than you'll get on uh, Basic Cable. And then I also purchased Dave, which I don't know, Eric, if you know the rapper Lil, Lil Dicky. Um, but, um, Lil Dicky has an FX series called Dave, uh, based on his life and his career, mostly his career. Um, but he, uh, I started watching that with Nevis the other night and it's, uh, it's quite good. It's a 20 minute, you know, comedy drama, um, about his, uh, him getting in him t- being taken seriously in the rap industry. Cause he's kind of a satirical, like white. Jewish guy, uh, white Jewish guy who, who does satirical rap and, um, his songs are great and he's a good rapper, but they're all like about him having a small penis and things like that. So, um, it's, it's, it's quite funny and he's, he's, he turned it into a show and it's on FX. So I picked that up as well. Cause I heard it was really good. So I watched the first two episodes, which are, which are quite funny, which are good. Well, and I think, I think uh, that's a- I think Debbie will be happy that you uh, you've rented Devs, and I'll I'll try to start watching that, so maybe we can discuss it in 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 full. Um, because I think that would be one that would be worth uh, actually kind of digging in deeper into. Yeah, doing a review um, of or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like Alex Garland. When I I remember when I was interviewing uh, Alex Garland for Annihilation, he was talking about doing. Uh, location scouting for the um, for devs in San Francisco, and he was saying like he literally saw it as I think it's like eight or nine parts, right? So he saw it as like a nine hour movie. Like he didn't even want to really break it up. Like he, the only reason he was breaking it up was because it was formatted for television. But um, yeah, I, and I probably how you'll be, watch it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll just sit there on a Sunday and just kind of burn through it, like I I do most shows that are. Uh, either HBO or FX uh, related, I guess. Um, but I'm not complaining about that. So, yeah. And and um, just to go back, uh, is the uh, co-creator of Better Call Saul, Peter Gold? Yes. There. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, no problem. Yeah, no problem. I had to look it up yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so let's continue on my B-movie rampage. Um I'll try to go quickly through this. Um, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So just rant about um, something that you're or in a good way or a bad way, whatever you want, whatever you're next going to talk it. about. You talk got about it. it. All right. Go. Matt's going, Matt's going pee pee. As I talk about Nightwish. Uh, Nightwish is a horror movie from the late eighties. Um, kind of, I guess, uh, uh, not a, not a, uh, a gem, if you will, but more of a kind of, an unknown kind of movie that is basically um, a group of scientists go to this haunted house and they are sort of experts or, or, or interested in uh, the supernatural and paranormal and exploring the 
sort of division between dreams and reality. Um, there's a lot of walking around, uh, just rooms for, for most of the movie to kind of pad things out. And it feels like it's an additional 20 minutes longer than it needs to be. Uh, Brian Thompson from, uh, the X-Files series is, is, is there, uh, as kind of like this macho jock kind of guy who drops off uh, the other scientists. But it's, I guess it's kind of a curiosity for anybody that likes eighties horror movies, but it's really not that interesting. Um, uh, Another, a couple uh, Roger Corman productions through new horizons and Concord that I watched uh, have an interesting uh, connection Um, just not, not in terms of like, Oh, these two things are related, but having people that, worked on the films that would go on to greater success in the same field. So I watched the unborn from the early nineties, which is about uh, an older couple in their mid to late thirties that want to get pregnant and they go to a fertility uh, clinic and the doctor uh, there helps and goes behind their back and sort of impregnates the wife with a super mutant gene that basically becomes like a mutant baby. Um, the film is shot by cinematographer uh, Wally Pfister, uh, who shot a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, movies up until, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Interstellar. Interstellar was his last one that, that, uh, that was before or after. Trying to think. Uh, no, Interstellar. Interstellar was not him. So before Interstellar, but Wally Pfister shot that movie. It kind of has like this, like m- soft melodrama soap opera kind of look to it, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, not a very good movie, but I w- I was kind of intrigued by it because we talked about um, our most anticipated movies of this year and whether or not it comes out now is is to be seen. But it almost kind of sounded a little bit like the plot description of. Uh, false positive a little bit, but maybe more kind of campy and kind of genre and in, in, uh, in its sort of presentation. Um, the other movies that I watched are, are two films that are uh, Roger Corman ripoffs of uh, Alien, which is called uh, The Terror Within. And the second one is shot by... Um, Mr. Uh, Janos Kaminsky, uh, Spielberg's usual cinematographer. So um, if you want to see some, maybe some impressive desert shots, I would check that out. Eric, you were talking about something and I didn't listen to a goddamn second of it because when I came back, my earphones were muted. Uh, do I need to respond to anything you said or should we just move on? Uh, you you can respond by saying, oh, Wally Pfister and Janusz oh, wow. Kaminski Wally started off. Pfister uh, and Janusz Kaminski started off as. As, you know, uh, cinematographers as, for. You know, cinematographers for. Well, this is this is like a weird <laughs> feedback thing. I, yeah. I was just interested in just seeing like, you know, these guys that are kind of considered. I mean, maybe not so much Wally Pfister anymore, but uh, Janusz Kaminski transcendent Spielberg. Yeah, you know, start with Roger Corman. So, okay, uh, in the cool. late eighties, early nineties. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else that you watched that you wanted to talk about? Uh, yes. Well, I did watch a film called Jack's Back with James Spader. Uh, James Spader plays twins. He, uh, one of the twins, is a. 
a medical doctor who is murdered and his twin brother, who's kind of like the, you know, black sheep of the family, uh, has to kind of go and investigate why and who murdered him. And, um, it's, it's kind of like your weird late eighties kind of neo-noir, uh, horror thriller, um, that's kind of dealing in the supernatural, but it can't really decide what genre it wants to stick in. Uh, James Spader is actually really good in both of the roles and the killer who is murdering women in the film is copying, uh, Jack the Ripper. And so some people think that, um, it was actually, uh, Spader's brother who was murdered. That was the killer. And, uh, the other brother is trying to clear his name. Um, it's, it's a pretty solid little movie. It's not great, but it has its, its moments. I think again, like if I had seen this when I was in my, my teens, I might have more of a appreciation for it. Uh, but yeah, Spader is actually really, really good in that movie. Cool. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, that's about it. I mean, I rewatched Silverado for, uh, the late great Brian Dennehy who passed away just a solid, uh, Western from Lawrence Kasdan. Um, Great performances all around. The casting is amazing in that film. People like Scott Glenn, Kevin Klein, uh, Danny Glover, uh, Kevin Costner, who I think is probably his most likable uh, ever. Jeff Goldblum, Linda Hunt, uh, Rosanna Arquette. Like it's just a, a, an amazingly cast movie for a lot of actors that were kind of just at the beginning of their careers, but getting really exciting roles. Obviously, a few of them had already worked with. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan uh, on the big chill uh, like Jeff Goldblum and you know Kevin Costner being cut out of that movie almost completely Um, but if you're looking for like a a fun kind of uh, you know camaraderie type western where a group of people were brought together to you know save the day and and take on uh, the corruption in a small town this is one of the best and it's it's a lot of fun nice and Brian Dennehy is great nice all right, uh, moving on to staying at home, which is basically what that whole last segment was and what every segment on this show is now. Um, on the digital front, um, in honor of 420, um, iTunes has a stoner comedy sale on all of these movies uh, under $8. Uh, we didn't talk about it. I don't know, Eric, if you have a f- favorite, you know, stoner movie or anything like that but maybe we can talk about it in a sec um but uh, yeah on itunes right now all of these movies some of them are in 4k um most of them not uh but all of these movies are under eight dollars on itunes so you have big lebowski dave uh dave um i saw dave Chappelle and say dave dave didn't confused um dazed and confused half baked fast times at richmond high jay and silent bob reboot how high this is the end American ultra um, a bunch of Cheech and Chong movies, uh, pineapple express sausage party, wet, hot American summer disaster artist uh, teacher of the year, sliding doors, tragedy girls, um, a plethora of other movies that are on there. Um, Death gasm under the silver Lake, uh, the interview uh, uh, Don Quixote, um, and many, many more, all under uh, $8. Um, Eric, do you have a favorite? St- I know you're not a stoner, but do you have a favorite stoner movie? 
Uh, I mean, I think the Big Lebowski is is my all time favorite, and more recently, obviously, Harmony Corinne's The Beach Bum. I kind of yeah. find that those movies can be hit or miss depending on how far the filmmaker or the writers go with depicting the characters. Like they can be as obnoxious as like you know a Deadpool esque character. Um, but uh, but I think if it's a good story or if it's a good performance, it can work. Some of those movies, though, seem like they're reaching as like a quote unquote stoner comedy, stoner or, or or it should be movies where pot is featured in the film. Because even though like Fast Time in Richmond High has a stoner character in Sean in Sean Penn's uh, Spicoli, um, maybe not a stoner movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like a teen comedy, but but I mean, it does sure, have a stoner but... character, right? Like Sliding Doors is is a movie with Gwyneth Paltrow uh, playing two versions of herself in two different situations. If she took this train, I mean that's not really so. Is a it stoner maybe comedy. it's just, but maybe it's maybe it's loosely like anything that could be considered trippy. Like if you are right. stoned, maybe not necessarily basing it on people who smoke weed, but if you were watching it, you'd be like, "Whoa, two Gwyneth Paltrow's what far out, um, man." <laughs> So I don't know, but um, what about you? What do you have a, a favorite stoner comedy? Um, I'm trying to think of what I've enjoyed the most. I mean, I think uh, again, a movie that kind of was underrated from last year, um, with um, uh, not why am I playing Under the Silver Lake? Um, not a favorite, but one that's recent that I, I feel like is a great stoner not necessarily comedy, but a stoner movie. Um, this is the end I think is fantastic. And, and especially right now in an apocalyptic um, kind of not saying that we're living through the apocalypse, but I think a, a couple places we're doing a watch along with this is the end right now, which I think is a fantastic movie um, and a great stoner movie. Um, yeah. There are the classics. Like I remember in high school getting stoned at a friend's house and watching high how high school. And, uh, yeah and watching how high and, and things like that and i mean um but i don't think there's like a i i i don't necessarily even if i'm gonna say to get inebriated and watch a movie it's not necessarily that because i'm ingesting marijuana in 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 some way that i need to watch a movie about people who are ingesting marijuana like i, I just can watch a fun action movie or or any other comedy or something that's I don't know. It, it enhances a lot of different things. So I don't think it necessarily has to be one of those movies. So I don't have a movie about stoners. I mean, I loved uh, Harold and Kumar go to white castle as a, as a teenager and things like that, like stupid shit like that. So I don't know, but uh, yeah, I don't necessarily and I also, have one of it. I should also just quickly say like, I don't mind stoner characters either. It's just, it's like the same thing with like drunk characters. It's how they're portrayed and like how like, if you veer in that territory of caricature versus character and like, you don't necessarily have to like over embellish that. Oh, like they're a alcoholic every five seconds or that like everything that they do is based on, you know, drinking or smoking. Like it's just like, I, you know, I it's a part like of Pineapp them. I like pineapple express for a movie that's about weed, um, which right now is $8 in 4k Dolby vision, Dolby Atmos. So, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Um, but a lot of, uh, Adam McKay stuff, like I think Step Brothers is a fantastic stoner movie. Um, the other guys, uh, 21 Jump Street, um, Oh, you know what'd be I, good? 
Speed Racer. Oh yeah, Speed God. No, Speed Racer is an excellent stoner movie for sure. When you're thinking of unconventional movies that aren't necessarily just about stoners. Um and if you're going into a, an action movie territory or something like that. Um but those are movies that I uh, yeah, comedies and just ridiculously anchorman stupid stupid fucking movies is usually what I go to. Um so yeah. Uh, other stuff that, uh, I would suggest for staying at home for deals. I recently purchased, uh, I gotta go through and see, uh, sorry, my Apple TV, um, list here, not Transformers Edge of Extinction. I'll also say uh, I've that was the other one. weed, so. Yeah. I don't know if you'd love it, but, um, anyways, you don't need to smoke it. There's many different ways that you can participate but hey i get um, high off of life <laughs> it can be it can be a, a great experience and a terrible experience depending on uh how how you do it um what the fuck am i looking for here i'm looking for movies recently purchased of what i've purchased oh i bought knives out because it was less than ten dollars because i wanted to give it another shot 4k dolby uh, Atmos Dolby Vision. Um, so that was my one pickup uh, recently. Um, when it comes to 4K movies on sale, I'm going to jump into the Apple sale here. Um, do you have anything on the physical side, Eric, that people should be picking yeah, up? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, two, and I also have a uh, streamer. Uh, <laughs> sounds funny, uh, especially after you went to the washroom. I have a streamer. Um <laughs> So uh, Bad Boys for Life is uh, available on 4K this week. You can go back and listen to Matt and I uh, talk about it on the review podcast. Um, The uh, series that kind of would be turned into the Naked Gun franchise, Police Squad, uh, the complete uh, series, is also available on Blu-ray, which uh, I highly recommend. And streaming on Netflix now is Alan Yang's Tiger Tale, not to be confused right. with Netflix's Tiger King, um, which is about uh, Alan Yang's uh, father, specifically uh, loosely inspired by his father's life um, growing up. Um, and sort of, again, looking at cultural differences from past and present, from Taiwan to New York, and how we take things for granted or don't realize that, you know, we're, we're living in two different worlds and how, you know, parents have a different uh, emotional reactions to things, especially men and how they keep things inside, um, Tai Ma, who uh, is a really wonderful character actor who played the patriarch in uh, The Farewell last year, who's been in the Coen Brothers' The Lady Killers, was in Arrival, uh, plays the father in in this movie. He's really wonderful. And it also does kind of feel like an extension of the second episode of Master of None called Parents, where uh, Dev and Brian uh, talk about their uh parents and how you know they kind of feel like they're an inconvenience at times and in this fast 
pace moving world and how they've taken for granted the things that their parents sacrificed for them to have a better life. And uh, it's, it's good. It's not a masterpiece and it wears its influences on its sleeve. Everything from, you know, the texture and style of Wong Kar Wai's in the mood for love to even Mike Nichols, uh, the graduate with one specific shot. Um, but it's, it's a really solid uh, debut and a very meaningful movie. And if you're looking for something that actually has something to say about two different, different generations, parents and children i think this is definitely something worth checking out noise um and then on my end for the digital stuff um i just picked up big lebowski because it's five dollars in 4k um which is fantastic i mentioned knives out um just mercy which um i actually enjoyed a decent amount um at uh tiff last year um not a great movie but a, a pretty solid one for ten dollars um Schindler's List is $10 in 4K Dolby Vision right now. Um if you just uh, I, I don't I don't know if it's the most uplifting thing to watch right now, but a good movie. Uh Field of Dreams $5 right now in 4K HDR, that's pretty dope. Um and anything else I want to Braveheart $10, Gladiator $10. Uh Apollo 11 under $10 right now. Like I mentioned, Pineapple Express, Sausage Party, $8. American Psycho, $10, which just had an anniversary, I believe. 20th or 15th or what? Uh, 20th, right? Because it was 2000 when yeah. it was released? Yeah, yeah. So uh, decent stuff there, all in 4K on iTunes. Uh, moving on to talking trailers. I don't think there was anything this week. Did you watch any trailers this week? Not that I, I don't can think recall. That, what a sad time. No trailers. I feel like, oh, I didn't know. We did have one. We watched uh, the Josh Trank trailer. Um, oh, uh, Capone. For Capone, yeah. So we do have one. Um, I watched the trailer for Capone starring Tom Hardy as the titular Capone. Um, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll watch it. It looks like it'll probably come to streaming in the next couple weeks. I think is when it's coming. Yeah, it, it, and it was originally titled uh, Fonzo, which is uh, Al Capone's middle name. And I can understand why they changed the title. But this has been in post production now for I think at least like two and a half, three years. Because like I remember with with casting, like they were kind of talking up like oh kyle mclaughlin was cast as his personal doctor like right around the time that twin peaks was about to air and um matt dillon being cast and linda cardellini and and it just seemed like one of those movies that's been in post now for for a little while first thing he's done since fantastic four right and um yeah i mean i'm curious i don't know i like tom hardy enough um uh i mean he a heavy amount of makeup, obviously to make him look like a late stage Al Capone. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Syphilis. Yeah. Yeah. They very much do. Um, so I don't know. I, it kind of looks like a VOD movie, but I mean, it's all we got right now. So, I mean, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> I have Tom no Hardy idea for what best to expect, actor but 2020. We'll, we'll definitely review it. That's for sure. Because we got nothing else to review. Um, but the trailer looked, you know, what you'd expect. I like seeing Kyle McLaughlin pop up, like you said, and 
And uh, I think Tom Hardy's a good enough actor to maybe carry this, but um, we'll see. We, you know what I thought of when I was watching the trailer, though, which isn't a good thing. And, I, and I'm not trying to hold this against Josh Trank because his last movie was terrible. You know, you you look at a movie case by case, but it kind of reminded me just in its its look uh, like Gangster Squad. It did a little bit, yeah. Like it has that kind of digital, kind of flushed out Which look, turn, like it's been yeah. oversaturized, especially in period pieces like that. That um probably shouldn't look like that like that you wish had a little bit of film grain on them and had some texture to them that like when they look a little too digital um like ruben fleischer's gangster squad um director of the upcoming uncharted film (laughs) right or never also directed tom Um, hardy and venom yeah so i don't know yeah i i see what you're saying there and i definitely agree with that but uh, I'll give it a shot, though. I don't know. I yeah, like um, again. What else are we gonna do? <laughs> exactly. So depressing. <laughs> um, speaking of that, let's get into the news. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up off the top is I just saw someone tweet out being um, Georgia is planning on opening their movie theaters on April twenty seventh. That's uh, why. That's something. I but what are for one? What are they going to play? They don't really have anything because yeah. everything's getting pushed. Um. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to what you said before about you know the you know Trump supporters and different people going and protesting. Um, some of the you know things that are helping right now, like social distancing and and trying to you know. Uh, quarantines or whatever you want to call it of people staying inside. But um, Georgia seems to be the first state that uh, is coming out and saying that they are ready to, I guess, quote unquote, ready to open their movie theaters, Um, which seems like way too early. Cause like, I mean, another, we'll just jump all over the place. I mean, Venice had a quote come out today um, saying that it's business as usual for them and they're planning on running their festival like they normally would. Uh, maybe, a, a, you know, a lower capacity in five or seven theaters they talked about, but um, they talked about how, you know what, right now it's, we're, we're planning on moving ahead as scheduled with the festival with no partnership with can <laughs> uh, like the can director uh, talked about that he might have with them. Um, Terry. So Primo, I don't know, man. Yeah. And then we're seeing, we can get more into the details of uh movies getting delayed and things like that. We're now starting to see the fallout from, you know, some productions getting delayed movies that aren't even finished um, that were halfway through production or a quarter way through production. Um, Matt Reeves, the Batman got bumped from early 2021 to now October, 2021. Um, it's taking that Joker spot. And then you're seeing the fallout of that being Shazam, um, the flash and other DC movies kind of, uh, get punted to different dates. Um, I can't see this Georgia thing. Like, I, I, I just, I don't know. We're jumping all over the place, but but no, it's like it's like you said. Like, what is there to show? Are they just going to like you know screen Trolls World Tour via like a, a digital rental link and rent it like every day? Like, they have to get permission from the studio, right? Which I'm sure the studio will say no. And 
there's nothing to show unless they're just going to show stuff that they still have. But again, they still need permission to do so. The only, like, I mean, the joke is right now that IFC has never been more profitable box office wise because some of their movies are playing at drive-ins, which is, I guess, the closest thing to any um, sort of box office. It's the only thing running right now. now. Yeah. 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 So you have movies like, you know, uh, the Jesse Eisenberg movie Resistance or, or Swallow kind of playing in these drive-in theaters because that's all there is and not to diminish those films even though resistance is not a very good movie um it's like yeah don't don't rush into this like i think what we're looking at now is that we need to assess the situation and look to the cdc and who and and wait for them to say like okay it's okay to go back to this certain thing because it's not going to all happen at once i think that's the the other thing that people aren't thinking about it's like you know once we're over this whenever that is it's not just going to be like okay everybody go back to work and everybody go back to you know your nine to five you can go to restaurants you can go to movie theaters you can go to public events you can go it'll be like a staggered kind of thing right yeah it'll move in it'll move in stages like it'll be like okay this is what people can do now you can do this but we still recommend you don't do these things and i understand as well that people are hurting financially like i i i get it and and like not everybody has you know a, the income of a of a movie star or, or or you know entrepreneur that has a successful business and they're depending right now on uh government support and and that's terrible and and you know like you're hearing things like um uh, Shake Shack giving back their uh, um, loan that they got $10 from the million government. Ten million dollar loan, yeah, yeah, and and I mean that's that's really cool. I don't know how that's like. I actually think that that if they kind of tried to distribute it to smaller businesses, that would actually be more helpful. Even though they probably shouldn't do that because it's quote unquote illegal. But I mean, giving it back to the pot. Um, I hope that it gets to another business that is an actual small business and just doesn't line into some you know, of Trump's, you know, supporters or Trump. uh, It's uh, almost more of a statement statement by taking it and giving it back and saying, Hey, we aren't a small business rather than, um, you know, just refusing it outright. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying and you're starting to see other countries kind of put together their, their plans of how to restart the, you know, um, the economy and, th- and things like that in their countries. And I think you'll see a staggered, I was talking about Nevis uh, with Nevis about this today of just like hypothesizing how this is all going to, you know, restart whether, you know, best case scenario, you're thinking maybe mid to late June, early July, maybe um, based on, you know, this changes every day, every week, but based on how you're viewing things now. Like, I mean, not much has changed in the last couple of weeks, but um, I mean, Ontario, it came out today that, um, you know, we've been doing really well. Everyone's been listening. We've been staying at home. We've, we've, it seemingly uh, broken the curve and, and have done really, really, really well. Um, what that means for the overall, you know, I think we still have a long road ahead of us of, of again, even when we start to, you know, okay, everyone can go back to work now or everyone we're going to open restaurants, but it's going to be 25% capacity or, or movie theaters. But uh, Nevis brought up a great point where I'm like, 
Oh, I, I'm assuming when movie theaters reopen, it'll be like you can buy seats in pairs of two if you really want, but then there'll be five or six seats in between you and the next person, right? That's how I assume things will go when this reopens. Like they'll, if they'll they reopen. everything, yeah, it'll be reserved seating and you can buy up to two people can go together, but there has to be five or six seats in between you and the next group of people. Um, that's great for a row, but Nevis made a great point of saying, well, what happens about the people in front of you then? You also need to make sure that, and, and I guess you just fill in the gaps and you kind of alternate of being like the first seat available is the aisle in one row. And then the next seat is, you know, five or six seats deep, uh, a pair of seats, and you can kind of stagger people out that way. Um, that's how I envision it reopening. Like I can't fathom, like, can you fathom, going to one of those like promo screenings where it's just like rammed up to the, like you're sitting right beside someone. Every seat is taken even opening night, not even promo screenings where we go to for like press and, and promo stuff, but like a Thursday night opening of a Marvel movie or something like that. Like to get back to that point where we're at, you know, 500 people, 300 people in a movie theater times whatever these multiplexes are. Um, I just like, even if you do social distancing in the theater, how do you control concessions? How do you control the lobbies? How do you control the ticket um, place? Like you can control where people sit, but you can't necessarily control everywhere where people stand, right? Especially if you're bringing, even if every theater is at a 25% capacity, if you have a between 10 and 20 cinemas in your multiplex like how do you control when people are coming into your building where they are in the lobbies things like that so right I well i mean i, I know, can't man. predict what the outcome is going to be but with some of this i think it's going to change forever or at least for a very long time the way that we sort of commune together like i mean i even think of things like the go train like something as 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 small as that right or 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 you know, transit in general, how that will change. And you raise a really interesting point that you can enforce these things to a certain degree, but people tend to break these rules. A person is smart. People are dumb. That's my philosophy on life. Um, but I, I think that like promo screenings are a thing of the past. I think that this, yeah, I kind of kind of killed it. Too. And I, and I, and again, like, I mean, I don't want to say like it's a certainty or sound like I, I know what I'm talking about because I probably don't. Um, but I don't even know if movie theaters are going to be the same afterwards. I mean, you, you, you keep hearing about, you know, AMC in the US, you know, borderline on, on bankruptcy, bankruptcy and Cineplex. Yeah. yeah. And Cineplex is, is very similar. And I feel like this is the thing that's going to, Ultimate, this pandemic is ultimately going to change the way that everybody responds and interacts with each other. I think we are going to have to learn to adapt to be a more online civilization. And a weirdly, the movie I keep thinking about, and I didn't even really like the film, was was Ready Player One, where it's like yeah. we'll have to kind of become more interactive online as we are now, but even more so to the point of where like everything is, is sort of, you know, at the, the touch of our fingertips. And I just feel like 
there are certain things, even though I don't like saying this because it sounds completely pessimistic, I, I think that it will get better to a certain degree. But I even look at like, you know, old folks homes, like those things are apparently like breeding grounds for the coronavirus and it's like okay well now that is going to probably be something of the past because i don't think we can have you know groups of senior citizens all in the same place because if one gets it then it's easy to spread amongst all of them and and you know like i have the most uh, susceptible to that yeah yeah yeah, and i have like a great uncle who is in a retirement home right now and like it's one of those things where we keep thinking like okay well we might have to move him and we don't know where to put him because, you know, I also have grandparents that um, uh, are in their early nineties and late eighties. And it's like, okay, so what happens with them? They're not worried about this, by the way, because my grandparents lived through world war two and, you know, like lost family and, and, you know, the, the British uh, bombings and things like that. But I do wonder like once we are, on the other side of this, whenever this, when that is, and and I think Andrew Cuomo said it really well uh, in New York, where he's like, you know, we're only just getting into halftime right now. Like we're in the eye of the storm, but I think things will change forever. Like even just the idea of like common customs, like I don't think people will shake hands anymore after for a while. I think, I think, I think it will. I I agree with you that it will change. Um, And this might be the nail in the coffin for multiplexes, which we have been predicting, or at least I have. And I know you've pretty much been on board with with my predictions of for a long time of where we're headed when it comes to the movie industry. And I, I never thought this would be the way that it happened. But I really do believe that this might be the nail in the coffin for multiplexes. And even if AMC and Cineplex survive this, I think it might be in a much like a scaled down way, right? I I don't know if they'll necessarily die right away, but they might close a lot of their theaters and, or try to restructure some of them or make some of that money back by, you know, downsizing or, um, and I really do think we're going to get to that point where it's going to go back to, and I, I sound like a broken record, but like um, the roadshow mentality where I feel like depending on how Trolls World Tour does and how, um, you know, some of these direct to streaming movies do, um, and we might get a couple more of them before this is over with. Um, if they well, make profit on that, right? With Hotel 30. Artists. Well, yeah, I mean, there we've been, yeah, Eric and I, and yeah, yeah, uh, Eric, myself, Ben Shane, a a bunch of our group of friends, uh, have joked about Artemis Fowl being a Disney Plus movie for three years, um, or two years or whatever. Um, and it's finally come true, but like, um, in a weird way, but the same way we talk about movie theaters, it's just like if Trolls World Tour made what people were saying, like, maybe $40 million that that opening weekend based on its $20 uh, rental thing for an animated movie. That's pretty good. Not great. Trolls might've made more. It might've made less in theaters. Um, but if you think mid tier movies, not blockbusters or big franchise movies, like 
I think those movies could possibly make that much money if you're charging $20 a rental just for the convenience of people going, you know what? I'll watch it with my fiance. I'll watch it with my family. It's 20 bucks. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and watching it at home, a movie that would maybe only make 15, $20 million might make $40 million. It's opening weekend. If it's, if it's a brand new movie to rent at home. Right. So, um, again, how I think this thing will net out is like, I think we're going to get a resurgence. If AMC goes bankrupt, I think that's a huge sign that a lot of these cinema chains will not survive this. Cause I, I can't fathom if AMC goes bankrupt, how Cineplex could survive this. I know I've read, I, I've done a little bit of research in, in their deal with, is it Cinemark, the UK company? I think that bought them, uh, yeah. Cineworld or Cinemark or, or something like that. Um, if Cineplex's debt goes over a certain amount of money, they can back out of the deal. And they say that Cineplex won't hit that until like June, maybe. Like if this goes until June is maybe when they'll go over that. Um, but their shares are way under what what that company will pay for them right now. Um, yeah. So like if I think we'll see a resurgence of independent theaters. And I mean, as much as their strug- independent theaters are struggling right now, um, because of everything that's going on, I think there weirdly might not be a better time than after this whole situation for independent theaters if multiplexes don't survive this. Because a lot of the stuff we're seeing, I mean, we even saw right before this pandemic played out, like the Paradise Theater and some theaters in Vancouver and and different theaters around uh, Canada and the US talk about you know the restrictions that these big multiplexes put on them. Uh, to not being able to show first run films. So if we get to a point where the Paradise Theater and the Tiff Bell Lightbox and the Fox Theater and, and places like that, those old school style single cinemas, maybe we even see the Elgin or the, or the Winter Garden or, or something like that turn into a first run movie theater where they, we go back to this roadshow mentality where the biggest movies play at movie theaters, but then everything else, you might get a couple other, you know, smaller indie movies or, or, or independent cinemas that play, you know, a consistent, um, indie rotation and different things like that. But I think these big, these single seat, maybe 500 to 2000 seat theaters might play roadshow, roadshow style, uh, presentations of big Hollywood blockbusters that, you know, run a month long or run two weeks long. And then they go straight to the VOD after that and have exclusive runs where you, maybe you bring back the, you know, the, the pump and the, the extra pizzazz of, of movies again, and you get a program and you buy them like they're a concert ticket and things like that. Right. And maybe it's just the biggest movies and then everything else is on VOD. And, and that's kind of how I, and eventually I think we'll go back to being comfortable sitting beside a stranger at a public event and different things like that. I think for, it'll take a long ass time. I don't think we're going to get to that until next year. Like I can't fathom, these different film festivals happening like they usually would, or even movies going back to normal. Like if anything, I think we'll have these social distancing protocols. We'll have to wear masks. Most likely we're already starting to see that be mandatory in certain places and, and things like that. That's a question I want to ask. I've been talking to uh, people about this, Uh, the masks specifically, do they actually protect against COVID-19 or is it, if you have COVID-19, it protects 
against giving it Others. to other people to a certain degree because I think it's been both. a bit of a contention. Again, I'm not I'm not a medical expert, obviously, but I, I, I do believe that it'll I think it'll help um in both ways. I think if you had it and um it would prevent you from probably spreading it as easily and and if you don't have it, um I think your biggest factor of getting it is touching something and then touching your face or, or if someone's within six feet and talking to you and they, you know, spittle comes out of their mouth and lands on whatever part of you. You mean mostly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily think that you're, you're completely protected, but I still think it's better than nothing. Right. Like, so Nevis and I, Nevis and I bought, bought some i can send you the link if you're if you're looking uh, no 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 because i I was having this conversation um, with my dad and he's a forensics you know he worked in forensics and he's like probably know better than i would yeah yeah and he was telling me like the only thing that can truly protect you is like if you were wearing like a full hazmat suit like literally totally yeah wearing a placebo basically and and some people argue that like if anything you'll um if you'll think you're more protected because you're wearing the mask, so you're more likely to do things you wouldn't if you were unprotected, if that makes sense. So like you're you're more laissez faire about the whole thing because you're wearing a mask or wearing gloves or things like that. Um right. I don't know. I think from a precautionary standpoint, like I still think it probably helps better than than not wearing anything at all if you were to go out somewhere. Um I mean, I'll be honest, we ordered some, like they tell you to put a filter in the mask. So it, it even helps more, whether it's a, a coffee filter or you buy the filters from, from them or something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, dude, like things like that. So, um, I don't know, like, I still think, yeah, they might not be medical masks, but I still think you're helping prevent the spread of it a little bit, at least. Um, it's better than nothing. But I think stuff like that might be mandatory for a while, which is going to be kind of surreal and strange. So we ordered some. So, I mean, it's just like if I'm going to go out, I might as well at least wear protection a little bit, right? But I don't know. Um, what other news do we have? Um, we talked about the Batman stuff getting punted. Um, that was very, very recent. Um, Soul was moved to November. Yes, Soul moved from June, which was that one piece of news when Disney moved everything that they had. They left Soul where it was in in late June. Um, that is now November. Uh, they also moved something else because of that, right? Oh, um, uh, is the it Good Raya Dragon? Not, the, uh, the, Raya not Good the, Dragon, yeah. And yeah, the Last Raya Dragon and the or three, something. And the Last Dragon, yeah, yeah. which they moved now to 2021. So it was basically a shuffle because Mulan moved to uh november as well and i think like the only thing that's really kind of holding out still in the summer months is tenant and that's the rumor is that warner brothers is is going to wait to the last second because they think by july um they might be the first big movie that tests will people be comfortable coming back right but i just can't fathom them you know, risking it of being like, we're going to put this gigantic fucking movie out that, you know, is meant to be seen on the big screen is shot in IMAX. They'll want to show it on IMAX theaters and then risk people not a, not wanting to go or b these, these social distancing things 
saying that you can only get a, you know, 25 to 50% capacity of a movie theater. Like I can't fathom why they would do that unless they're, they plan on having it run in theaters for a year and then not have it come out on VOD until, you know, next year at some point. Um, and Which just I say, think Hey, no one could explore that as a possibility. Yeah. And I mean, that's a very old school way of doing things. Right. And I, I wouldn't put it against them for doing that, but um, if they go, you know what? Some states are better than others. Some countries are better than others right now. Let's put it out there and, and, and we'll just keep it in theaters. And when other states open or other countries open up um, to having their movie theaters open, uh, I just can't see like a weird platform release for it, right? Because it would be very limited um, when it came out and then it would keep expanding over time. But that just seems bizarre to me. Yeah, and and I think as well, like it has, it it all depends on the international market, uh, especially with China, um, which is a huge uh, contributor to uh, the global market and and cinema uh, right now, and and box office, and you know, like you you have to think like a movie, like you said, like a film that big isn't going to be a platform release. You you release that wide, and it's a, a global, you know release and phenomenon and i'm sure it'll trickle out uh, in a couple countries in a couple places afterwards like it would with any big release uh depending on who's you know handling the foreign rights the international rights to the film but i honestly think like at this point the summer is basically scrapped in terms of uh any releases and now the thing i am most curious about is what is going to happen to the fall because i can even see you know like i i think the venice thing in terms of a film festival happening is a pipe dream like you can say like now like oh yeah it's still gonna happen and what have you and it probably will be a little bit better by the time we get to the end of august into september but i just don't see that many people wanting to go to venice specifically right now um or can for that matter and and even closer with tiff like things are going to change. And I think the digital route will play a huge component, whether, you know, someone like Terry Fremo likes it or not, because like you see right now with theaters like the Fox and paradise, you know, teaming up with these smaller boutique labels like Kino Lorber and like film movement and releasing their movies exclusively uh, and digitally. And they don't have to worry about, um, seat capacity. You know, you can rent this movie any time of the day. Uh, you know, whether it be something like Baccarat or um, something that's coming up like the Wild uh, Goose Lake, which I actually think is on Paradise right now. You can go and rent those movies any time of the day. You don't have to worry about you know capacity or where people are sitting and. You know, it's based on the region of where you are. So you can rent, you know, those movies in Canada if they're playing in Vancouver or Toronto or anywhere in the vicinity. And the same thing with the U.S., depending on how close it is to your local independent theater. So I think those are going to also be uh, major factors in sort of how we sort of absorb and, and ingest cinema and movies and and and. Like something like Trolls World Tour is an interesting experiment, but we need to see something that is on a certain level go to VOD and see how that does, or you know, like for the the studios to see how that does. Like I don't want to say tenant specifically, but like 
Mulan or something. Like if one of those movies, like something that actually was anticipated, like, again, I don't think Bond is going to end up on VOD, but if there was a movie of that size that was intended for a theatrical release that ended up on VOD or like, say, a studio is like, okay, well, I'm going to do the Disney Plus thing now. and I'm going to create my own, we're going to create my uh, a channel. And, you know, people, because people, not not everyone's going to want to pay $19, $20 for every ticket. So they have to think about how much they're going to charge per ticket. But if I, you know, create my own streaming service, Universal starts their own streaming service, people will buy that or maybe pending on whether they have Disney Plus and 20 other ones. So I think it's, I think we're in territory that is just, it's unknown at this point. And it's just like day by day, we have to figure it out. Yeah, I agree with you that it'll take one of those big Yeah, Trolls is a is a fun kids movie, but it's not like you mentioned, like an eagerly anticipated Hollywood blockbuster and it's going to take one of those movies to break out from from this and be like, "You know what? We're going to put this on VOD because we don't want to wait an entire year to put this out or or we don't want to punt it to October but not even know what the landscape is by then." Um, cause again, a lot of these movies might get pushed again, right? Like we don't know, like say theaters are, are completely tank, like even if they reopen, but no one's going to the movies, um, you're going to start to see a bunch of these places or a bunch of these release dates move again. Cause a lot of places are going to panic and they're going to be like, well, now is not the right time to release this because we're going to only make 25% of what we would have normally made. Um, I don't know, man. It's gonna. It's interesting. Uh, the yeah, Love if it Birds, was a movie like Black sorry. Widow, for example, yeah, like if Disney put that out on on Disney Plus, like say, okay, the uh, it's October now, right? It's been moved to October. If if that were yeah. to change, November November sixth. Oh, November November sixth. So first week of November, say that happens, where it's like, okay, it has to be moved again, and then Disney just decides, might as well cut our losses, release it on Disney Plus. Or even and as a rental more- for twenty bucks, right? Like, yeah, and then eventually say like, oh, it'll come to Disney Plus, you know, it, it, the same time that if it were to be released on Blu-ray or four K, right? Um, like, if that was the kind of movie that was being released through a streaming service or uh, on iTunes, that would be the one to kind of really sort of be the the benchmark of where we're going. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um. All right. Um, I'm sorry. I'm looking through news right now. You were saying the Lovebirds was... was, uh, Oh, yeah. Lovebirds. May 22nd. uh, May 22nd. So we finally got a release date. Um, Originally supposed to be early May. um, Or sorry, early April, right? Yeah, April. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But Netflix picked that up from Paramount. Uh, Kumail Nanjani uh, announced that the release date would be May 22nd. So we will get that at the end of next month. Um, we also, I think we already talked about it, but my spy is coming to Amazon. Um, it won't be getting a theatrical release, at least in the U S well, it um, opened in, uh, in Canada. Canada right before everything was uh, kind of changed because Elevation Pictures had it here in Canada. So I wondered, is that the same, is that going to be the same thing for, uh, for a Canadian release, is it going to come to Amazon Prime or is it going to be uh, iTunes only? And and uh... yeah, it's all interest. It depends, right? Because 
I'm assuming that it'll go to iTunes or something like that because of the way that um, these deals get made, right? Like uh, they probably already sold the rights, obviously, to a Canadian distributor. Um, so that completely changes the plans for Canada. Um, trying to look through. Sorry, everyone. Through quarantine, we don't even plan these episodes anymore because why bother? <laughs> <I'll> just, <laughs> Uh, there's news that pops up, but like half the time it's nothing really other than um, things getting moved. Um, I, yeah, I guess talking about film festival stuff, Eric, we, I mean, as I'm just like killing time as I'm looking through news, can you fathom TIFF happening as normal this year? Like I, I, I can't really no, see it. I don't think it, yeah. it, it'll change. I think, I think it I happens, it but I don't happens. know. But who yeah. knows? I mean, like, I was even thinking, like, by the time we get to the the Oscars, like, what happens there? Because, like, what will be considered eligible and not eligible? And, like, you know, we, we only really made it through two and a half months before – or not even, like, two months and a week um, before theaters completely shut down. So do you consider stuff that – and, like, yeah, again, like – does a movie that played for one week before everything was locked down count like something like never rarely sometimes always, or, you know, a movie that was released and then pulled and going to be re-released in the fall, like a 24s, uh, the Kelly Reichardt movie first cow. So these kind of things also come into play. Like, could you imagine like the Oscars this year? It's like for best supporting actor, Jim Carrey wins for Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. Or, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it could happen. You never know, man, depending on how this year goes. Um, the Rogue One prequel on Disney Plus adds Stellan Skarsgård to the cast. So Stellan Skarsgård joins the Star Wars universe. I love that guy. So <laughs> Went from Dune to Star Wars. Um, the Dune images came out too. Eric, what did you think of them? Um, I, it's so weird because like, I, I wasn't completely blown away by them, but at the same time, the thing that kind of surprised me the most is how there's now, there's seeming to be this like Denny Villeneuve discourse where like yeah, people are shitting on him like... and I don't get it. It's like, it's like, okay, you know, people compared him to David Fincher and I think rightfully so because both of them come from the same kind of commercial music video aesthetic that they're both borrowing from Ridley Scott. Um, and they both are, are, are directors before they are writers, but then he has done some writing where David Fincher hasn't written any of his, his scripts. Um, he's had other people come in and, and, and he's worked with writers specifically, but it's like, you can only like one or the other. And like, this is the thing of film Twitter. I'm not the biggest fan of where it's like, you have two great filmmakers that have made their way into the studio machine and are making interesting, you know, big budgeted movies and getting away with it. And it's like, you would want to exclude one if you could, or say that one is not worth your time because, you know, the other lives up to a higher standard. Let me tell you something. 
I love David Fincher, but David Fincher has a couple movies that I'm kind of iffy on, you know, and it's the same thing with Denny Villeneuve. Not everything Denny Villeneuve has done is, is, is a masterpiece, but both of those guys have done great work and both of them yeah. coexist in the same space. And it just, that kind of stuff frustrates me on Twitter when I see it's like, you know, fuck Denny Villeneuve. Who does he think he is? David Fincher? Get this guy out of here. When only a couple years ago is like, you know, arrival, like, Thank you, Denny. Like this is, you know, a masterwork, and like it just the dude is great and nuts. keeps making. I, I I don't understand it either, and I'm totally with you. And um, I I just I feel like with any um popular director or someone who goes quote unquote Hollywood and and starts making you know Hollywood movies and and Blade Runner and and Dune, I can see people turning on him, but I just don't get why because i think blade runner 2049 is excellent arrival is fantastic uh prisoners is great sicario is great i mean even prisoners is sure maybe the weakest out of his you know hollywood stuff um but it's still excellent and the guy keeps making better and better movies and i just don't understand how it's just like you you log on one day and you're just like oh everyone decided to turn against him i'm like why (laughs) out of nowhere um, yeah, and like these are some of the same people, not all of them, but these are some of the same people that are like Paul W.S. Anderson is an underrated uh, a tour filmmaker. And I'm like, are you fucking out of your mind? Like, do you, do you know what you're saying? Like, this is the guy who directed Mortal Kombat and you're saying that that's a that's better That's just filmmaker. contrarianism. Like, I know. It just bothers yeah, me because just... again, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. And if you like the movie, you like the movie or you like the filmmaker, that's fine. But it just bothers me when we – we we have to sort of provoke a conversation to get attention. Like it just feels like everybody's trying, especially right now, to be like, "Hey, look at me! Look at me! I'm saying Denny Villeneuve sucks, and David Fincher is the only guy that can make those kind of movies." And it's just like, no, like they both can, and they're both great filmmakers. And this is why we can't have nice things. To be fair, I I have seen less negativity during these times i guess when it comes to the film community but i guess we don't have much really to bitch about because there's not really new movies coming out um right but anyways i don't know uh hbo max announced uh jj abrams is producing a justice league dark series as well as a overlook uh series based on the shining universe uh because i guess not enough people watched uh dr sleep um, well, I love JJ. I like was going to direct yeah. uh, a, a film version of uh, the Overlook Hotel, and this was going to be like a more of a direct sequel that wasn't Doctor Sleep. I think in the early two thousands, he had that, and another movie with Tom Hanks. He was going to do called uh, uh, called the Cold Case, and they never happened. So, you know, why not? And he does Castle Rock. So, yeah, sure. Oh yeah, JJ did produce Castle Rock, right? So I'm uh, I'm assuming it'll be more in that vein. Uh, Justice League Dark, I guess, makes sense as taking that to an HBO Max series, give it the kind of R rating and things like that. Um, I don't know. I, I like JJ. I like Bad Robot. Robot. Um, Robot. We'll we'll see. Um, we'll see. He also happens. has another series too, right? There's a third one, Duster, which I think is an original series. Okay. I don't know much about it. I don't but, either, but it was um, in the press release, and I just thought it had a cool name, Duster. Duster. 
Uh, looking through the news, did I miss anything that came off the top of your head, man? Um, was there any casting announcements? Well, we talked about Skarsgård, and I think that was really the only one because I remember texting you and going, "We have actual news." <laughs> um, theaters reopening, we covered. Um, looks like Scorsese might be trying to pawn off. Um. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon to either Apple or um, Netflix because the budget keeps skyrocketing on it. Do you think that'll happen, or do you think it st- stays at Paramount? Um, I I think it might. I guess move. depending on how all this happens, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think this is a big factor, right? Like nobody, everybody's at a, a standstill at the moment, and it's kind of like this is given Scorsese some room to kind of you know maybe actually negotiate between other studios. And I mean, the Irishman was at Paramount and then it moved over to STX, which is uh, a universal company and they, neither company could afford it. And then Netflix picks it up. So he might as well go back to Netflix. If the budget is $250 million, even though for this, I'm not sure why it needs to be $250 million. Not that I'm saying that Martin Scorsese shouldn't have a budget, the same size as a, Marvel or DC movie or, or a big tentpole film. He, 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 he's earned it, but this is a smaller movie unless they're just like rebuilding sort of the area in Osage where, where it takes place. Uh, like, I, I don't think that they're going to actually do de-aging for this because there really, yeah. there's no need for it. There's nothing like in terms of time jumping that's uh, so where in, does in that uh, David Grant's book. Yeah, so like, is it just going all to DiCaprio? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, uh, a couple Disney Plus announcements: The Mandalorian is getting an eight-episode documentary series um, on Disney Plus. I'm assuming each chapter uh, covers a chapter of the show, but maybe I'm I'm incorrect there. Um, curious about that because I know they used a lot of new tech in that series and things like that. Seems like a like eight episodes seems like a long, like a long time to show <laughs> that series. Like that's almost as long as this series itself. Um, but I'm curious and I probably will watch it. Do you have any interest? Yeah. And in I mean, or- star, I mean, it, I, I would watch it if it was on a Blu-ray or something like that. But I think it is given the times that we're in and also star Wars fans, me being one of them, and I'm not trying to sound derogatory here, but I think, you know, if you were to give a Star Wars fan and say, hey, I've got, you know, eight hours worth or nine hours worth of behind the scenes footage for this Star Wars show, would you watch it? Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I mean, the, the fan base is so strong that, you know, and devoted that they will watch it. It won't be for everybody. Like, it'll be available to anybody, but I think the people that will watch it and will, you know, watch it all are going to be the star Wars fans first and foremost. It's the same thing with them always re-releasing, you know, Blu-rays and 4Ks. Like they can, can continue to do this till the end of time because they'll always have people buying them because the fans are always going to support it. You know, yeah. it's going to make a bad joke. Um, it's like the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, there's another show called Prop Culture, which is coming out on uh, May 1st, um, which actually looks kind of cool. It, it's about a, a guy who is a, um, 
a movie um, paraphernalia collector. Um, and um, he travels around looking at all these different Disney props from their biggest movies. Uh, there's interviews with some of the cast. There's a, a clip with Christopher Lloyd um, looking at his costume from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, and this guy going around and, and seeing costumes from Pirates of the Caribbean or famous props from Tron and different things like that. So, like, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the Imagineering story on Disney, Disney Plus. So um, I think I'll, I'll probably enjoy kind of this. I like that they cast this guy who seems just to be like a big movie collector, um, memorabilia collector. Um, I use paraphernalia, which probably wasn't the right word earlier. Um, I've he has Disney paraphernalia of- all over his house. Oh, what yeah. a sick fuck. Um, but I, I, I dug the trailer for this and I'll, I'll probably check it out. I mean, it, it looked kind of cool. The guy seemed very passionate and, and, um, and relatable. And I, and I was into this. Yeah, again, like I think it's one of those shows where it's like if you have a half an hour, hour to kill and you're looking for just kind of like something that's an easy watch, I think something like that would work. And it also, again, like it plays into your nostalgia of certain movies and TV shows that you grew up with. Like, as you mentioned, with Back to the Future, you know, like your mileage will run based on, you know, whether or not you like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not you like the certain prop or, um, you know, items that are being talked about. Like if it was something on Tron, I mean, it's cool, I guess, but I mean, I'm not going to be like, Oh man, this episode, I'm just, I, I, I need to, I need to buy this. Now, if it was that, but for elf, some people, that elf, yeah. uh, suit, I'm a hundred percent there. <laughs> not that that's a Disney um, show, but. I'm sure lots of people have an attachment to Tron. Tron, the first Tron does not really hold up at all. Um, but I could see people having, uh, you know, an attachment to that. That's kind of a stoner um, movie though, too. Yeah. A little First bit. Tron film. I can yeah. see that. Um, and I think I'm going to call it there. I'm, I'm scrolling through and I don't, I don't know. There's some other stuff, but not really, not a lot of news these days other than movies getting delayed. Um, Eric, thank you once again. Uh, I hope you and your family are well. Yep. Uh, how's your mom doing? How's Bev doing? She's doing good. Well? Uh, yeah, grandparents are good. Mike's good. We don't go out unless we have to. We do Michael? grocery runs. Michael? We do grocery runs uh, on Mondays usually. Yeah, um, same with us. Yeah. Yeah. So We've been doing know. chef's plate still. So um been crushing that, doing a lot of stuff, making my cold brew. Have you made iced coffee at home yet? That's the update that I need. No. no, you still, it's been a month and a half and you haven't, haven't had iced coffee. You're a monster. No, I have not. It's been tea, um, tea, tea, tea. I, oh, you're a tea boy now. Um, I've always just, been a tea boy. Yeah. I have I never, British I've, grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I understand that, but I've never been with you when you're like, I'm going to order a tea. I don't like, um, um, like store teas or like, uh, restaurant teas. Like I, I find like even places like Starbucks and David's tea, they just don't do it the way that I, I, I kind of like the artificial synthetic stuff. Sure. Like a Tetley or a, or yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. Or if I've just been, I, make it <laughs> fair. I made a fresh batch of cold brew today, trying to light a roast, but I've been doing, um, 
I've been drinking. Yeah, it, it's honestly saving me a ton of money, like yeah. I mentioned before. It's probably a little um, bit better for you too. Yeah, Meh. I mean, I drink my coffee mostly black, um, maybe with some like a, a touch of cream or some almond milk, or I had um, for a while uh cinnamon toast crunch coffee mate which was i was putting in my coffee for for a while uh so getting that ct crunch in my coffee every morning but um and then we've been ordering out here and there so we've been trying to support some local restaurants that we enjoy um our favorite one of our favorite um italian places uh, sugo uh opened up for delivery uh on uber eats uh this weekend so we ordered that which was fantastic got myself a nice chicky parm and some pasta it was fantastic nevis made pasta for dinner tonight which i'm going to eat right now um yeah man you know no i i I was i was thinking about getting a plate and just eating while we uh record but um i'll save you all from those sounds um but thanks again, dude. Um, oh, this no was problem. fun. This is a, a good long episode because we haven't done one in a week or so. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, if you like this, again, we don't have a ton of new reviews out right now, but I'm hoping we'll change that very, very soon. Um, but if you like this, we have a reviews channel called uh, Untitled Movie Reviews where Eric and I uh, review uh, new released films uh, when there are some. Um uh, usually 20 minutes or less over on that channel. So please go subscribe to that. Unless it's um, cats. Uh, cats is, uh, was an hour plus, um, which I've been waiting for the 4k to drop. Cause I can't buy it for $25. I just can't. Um, but once it gets to 10, Eric, am I going to 420, the perfect day to watch cats? Um, but don't buy it for $25. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, as always, uh, my name's Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work right now only at untitledmoviepodcast.com. Uh, and you can follow all of my uh, self-isolation, quarantine, antics, movie watching, random thoughts, um, cinnamon toast crunch uh, uh, quotes, and, and more over at Matt Rohrbeck on all social media channels, but mostly Twitter and Letterboxd. And we also have uh, social media accounts for Untitled Movie Podcast, mostly uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram under uh, Untitled underscore podcast. Uh, Just Untitled underscore cast. Almost there. (laughs) Damn it. I'll get it. I'll get it eventually. But it's good that we mentioned year it. three, uh, year three, you'll get it. Year three, year three. Uh, but you can also, if you have have the time right now and you want to, I mean, I know people are really busy and and it's understandable. But you know, please uh, rate and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, every review uh, helps, and it and it means a lot to us, especially to to know that you know people out there are are listening. We we really do appreciate it. Um, I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene. And I'm on the social medias at EM6211. And I just wanted to give a, another thank you and shout out to Jay Cheel, who came on cinema scene um, to talk about curse films. He was very, very generous uh, with his time and his answers. And I hope uh, people will uh, check out that interview once it's posted online. It's, stream or it's 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 broadcasting now on rogers tv in durham so if you live in durham have at it 
And then once it's online, watch it and go check out the Film Junk podcast and Cursed Films. Um, all right. Until next time. Watch Double Dragon. No, I mean, why? <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.